Hey everybody, welcome again to F This Movie, the official podcast of FThisMovie.com, movie love for movie lovers. My name is Patrick Bromley, and I'm super, super excited for this week's show, because I'm joined by Vanity Fair's finest uh, <laughs> of the Pure Cinema podcast, joined together. You guys have both done the show separately, and then you were on the show together when we did our Toby Hooper thing, but this is the first time we've done a proper episode together. Mr. Elric Kane. Hey, man. And Mr. Brian Sauer. Hello. Thank Podcast you, guys. Podcast crossover. Yes. It. it goes, uh, the ladder of success goes Tarantino, Edgar Wright, Vanity Fair, my show. Bromley. Exactly. That's how it works. <laughs> You're on before all of those guys. On our show. That's why we I can never get back on. Do you know how, <laughs> that's true. Do you know how many guests on our show we have paid to fly to our city to record with us. Oh, that's true. Wait. Exactly. Just one. Exactly one. <laughs> exactly. Just and that's one. Just got the star treatment. Wow. All right. Port to fly Quentin <laughs> from, from Tel Aviv. He's not yeah, making the trip. No, he's good. <laughs> well, I'm very excited that you guys are on. How is your quarantine going? <laughs> uh, we're doing a lot of podcasting. I know that. Yeah, that's good news. Trying to stay busy. I think I think that's uh, I think everyone handles it different. I see a lot of good people, a lot of our like film Twitter people that you know and just respect. I see a lot of them starting to hit walls um, at the moment, and like a lot of us, but publicly posting about it, and it makes me feel it makes you feel bad, but it makes you realize I'm just I think trying to distract myself as much as possible. So lots of recording, working, and then homeschool is just bonkers. Yeah. <laughs> all of the above, all yeah. of the above, and watching a lot of movies. Yes. Mm-hmm. Is everything Many you're movies. watching pretty much for shows that you're doing? Yeah. Mostly, but I've found that, and I don't know if you've had this, Elric. I think you have. We've talked about it on some Hangout episodes. I'm watching more with the family. Like, we're doing movie nights three, four times a week, which is kind of nice. I kind of oh, dig that. I, I don't want to be around those fuckers. <laughs> <laughs> like, not, not now. Not under quarantine. That's a I weird thing to say about Brian's family. <laughs> 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 well, yeah, no, it's it's awkward. It's fair. Time, so. uh, yeah, we're do, we're doing like we talked about on the hangout. We're doing a lot of Star Wars films. We're, we're watching more, but I stay up a lot later than everyone, and that's when I tend to watch uh, most of my stuff. Uh, so it's it is a mix. But um, yeah, occasionally, you know, I really enjoy when I watch a film not directly for one of our episodes, which is rare. But like I on the last uh, hangout, I hadn't seen Killing Them Softly yet. And uh, watch that just for myself, and that it felt great to kind of watch a new, bigger movie that I had missed at the time, which is on Netflix, and it was a really good movie. Somehow, yeah. I'd missed it at the time. I'd be curious to see. I know there's supposedly like a two and a half hour cut that exists. I kind of like movie. that that one's short because it's such a thin story right. compared to Assassination of Jesse James, which feels like okay, it's an epic, so you can kind of milk it to be as long as it is i still it's a little long for me but i kind of like i felt like this one just suited being very curt you know but i dig it i I thought that was a good one i and i do see why it would play better now than you know eight years ago just because it's got a lot of politics around it at the time maybe it was a little too recent right brian what's the best thing you've watched lately (laughs) um boy that's a good question i'm trying to think i mean most of the best, best stuff has been show-related. Okay. You know? um, but even, like, we just dropped our, our, not to plug too hard, but our Road Movies episode this week, which we recorded a while back, and rewatching Tulane Blacktop for that episode 
was definitely one of my favorite things. Like that movie is truly one of my favorite favorite movies of all time, and only gets better every time I see it. So, and and one nice. of the ones we we like bonded over. Like I feel like there's a couple movies that probably led to the podcast happening in the first place, and I think that's one of them because yep. just like when we we're you were interviewing me for the Danny Perry uh doc that, that was one of the ones that we both had in common so i think sometimes you find that common ground that's the weird thing about our podcast is we don't tend to pick the same movies most of the time which is weird given that there are a lot of similarities uh in the films we like so but yeah, there's a lot of differences too which we'll probably see tonight but it, <laughs> definitely I'm, I'm surprised how many how a little we've in and how many in this many years had the same picks and none of it's pre-planned so it's kind of crazy yeah, it's happened probably less than five times, I think, right? Yeah, very few, very few. Um, yeah, and, and they didn't cite that in the Vanity Fair article, but, you know, <laughs> uh, one of eight of the podcasts mentioned on that. <laughs> uh, uh, it's all downhill from here, my friends. 2020, man, 2020. 2020. Um, so tonight we are talking about... Neo Handshake movies, which was a great suggestion that you guys had because the very first episode of Pure Cinema was about handshake movies, those movies that sort of, they're not exactly favorite movies, they're movies that kind of define you, movies that say something about you, um, and you guys had had the idea to talk about handshake movies post-2000, so kind of newer handshake movies, because I went back and re-listened to your original Handshake episode, the very first episode of the podcast, and it was really interesting to hear you guys almost feeling each other out a little bit, because I don't think you really knew each other super well at that time. I think yeah, that was no. part of the idea, right, of that episode? Totally. Yeah. Well, and yeah. now I, I do remember that I didn't know how much he loved the Burbs. I didn't know how much he loved After Hours. Like, that was definitely an in-the-moment discovery where you go, oh, this is the right podcast partner for me, I yeah. think. So, so that right, was, because that's that fun. was just me. It's, it's kind of for me. It was kind of escape from just horror, right? Because mm. I'd been doing it for so long. The whole point was like, oh, I have all these other movies I want to talk about. Kind of itching to do it, and then we started the podcast. And I feel like that handshake one was the one. It was a cool idea. I don't or I don't remember it's where. Your idea. It was I like, remember it was, but I don't remember where it came from. It was just one of those. It was trying to separate from just being a top five. Because because when you say it's not the your favorites, it's closer to your favorites than it is best. Because like if we're talking about post two thousand. And I think one of the reasons we picked that is because I don't think any of our handshake films were in that range. And it feels, you know, it's always hard to pick cult movies or favorite movies uh, that are more recent. But, um, yeah, I just I think uh, we've done an episode on post 2000 uh, under what was it like underrated gems? It was like cult, cult, movies. cult movies. Yeah. yeah of the, and some of those, by the way, are going to probably show up on my list. Yeah, me too, probably. Yeah, but but it, but it's what I was trying to say is it's different than best. Like if you ask me, best right, post two thousand right. movies, there will be blood is number one, Mulholland Drive is number two. None of them are going to be on my list, right? Because they're they're just amazing works of cinema, but they're not something that I I don't know what it is. Sometimes it's things you want to watch. It's, sometimes it's the movie you want to show people. Um, and and then there's just some weird thing in your DNA for that movie. Yeah, I've also noticed, and I haven't talked to you about this, Elric, but there's a thing now with Letterbox favorites mm. where it's like those handshake movies are the kind of movies I'll put in my Letterbox favorites. And you can do it enough, you can switch them out enough that you can just have tons and tons of them. Uh, but I feel like that's the thing. When somebody, like when you find out about somebody's on Letterbox, you go and look at their profile. I think it's really telling to me, and not to be. Mr. Judgy Judgy, but like, what do they have? Are those, are those those four movies? Have they decided to go with 
you know, the great movies. Is The Godfather in there? I'm not faulting anyone that has The Godfather in there for, but like, is it that or is it stuff that's more even? I mean, I'm sure that those movies are incredibly personal to those people, but um, for me, it's always personal. It's always like this is something that defines me, you know. Uh, you know, Deadly Eyes is something that defines me. You know, that kind of movie is. I like that. Yeah, no, I totally, I totally, I feel like we should all pull up our letterbox right now. Mine are color coded right now, uh, which I'm very proud of. I have deep red, blue sunshine, green room, and purple noon. Feel really good about that. Oh, you just um, changed those then, dude. <laughs> yeah, I did. I, I mean, but again, even though I'm, I'm kind of joking by picking color, there are all four movies that can make that list. You know what I mean? They're not just best movies. So yeah. I, I think there's something more playful about saying, you know, hey, handshake uh or something like that too it's or like high five it's almost like rather than best or favorites and some of them are funny like like you can't um i'm like favorites you can't escape this like this is almost the list that when somebody says this to you it comes to your mind pretty quick at least for me it does like uh, like i realized i wasn't really researching much in the 2000 because i realized i had already kind of thought of these movies and i'm probably going to regret it as soon as we tape it i'll be like oh i didn't think about all these major because i i almost regretted saying 2000s because maybe that was too much ground like maybe it should have been 2010 to now but whatever it's you know we'll see where what we get yeah i think mine's kind of a mix of the first decade and the second decade yeah i think I, mine is too although no a little more favoring the 2010s okay. do you guys have any any titles in there that surprised you that they ended up popping in there? Almost like you kind of, I don't know, maybe like you didn't realize it was the movie that would make it onto a list like this? Well, I have some, and we, we talked about there's like a knocking at the door honorable mention thing we might do after, and I had a couple that I had to shove back in there because I, it was so surprising that I was like, I just don't think I could put that there. I don't know. It just doesn't, I like it a lot, though. So it was a weird one. But nothing that's on, on the actual list I don't think anymore. Although this list has changed probably half a dozen times since we came up with this idea. <laughs> Mine just changed a half hour ago. <laughs> well, I had a moment of panic a moment ago where I realized I totally didn't even pick it. That two of them were directed by the same person. I was like, Oh I can't no, do that like I can't do that. So I'm going to have to bump one to the honorables and because it just felt wrong, but they're yeah. very different movies. I mean, so, but you know, and I have this one that I'm, list- I have one that I'm deliberately leaving off because I'm pretty sure it's going to be on Brian's. All what? Right. You can't. No. Your handshakes can't. No, do it. I can't do it. I hope he's right. I hope it's on mine. If it's I mean, not... there was one on Brian that Brian made me watch that is in my knocking at the door, like one that I hadn't seen when everyone saw it and okay. really like it. All right. Uh-huh. Well, shit, let's get to it. I'm excited. Yeah. Um, I am too. I want to hear what you guys pick. This is going to be fun. All right. This is good. Um Elric, we'll let you go first. You guys are the guests. You should go first. So we're just going to go one and rotate around? Yeah, might as well. Okay, so this will be... I'll start with my pinky. Um, <laughs> I assume we're going to designate which did we Did we rank uh, these? I don't know. I, I, gotta... I did a traditional ranking, but, you know, whatever. Yeah, I mean, once you're in a hand... If you're in that five, you're in freaking great company. Um, so, I mean, this was hard to get down five movies from 21 we know there's 21 marvel movies so i had to get down to five so i'll probably start with iron man three because that's the one with the whip right yep. like the whip. uh no that's yeah. two that's two. Oh shit okay hold the on. only good thing about two yeah um hold on marty's texting me oh no 
He's canceling right. his appearance on Pure yes. Cinema. <laughs> oh, speak. All right. Well, I guess I will move away from that. I, I do like Marvel movies. I like Star Wars movies. I like all movies. Uh, is that the stock answer? All right. Um, but I thought I, I. By the way, I thought I liked all movies, and then I watched Bloodsucking Freaks on Joe Bob, and I was like, "Oh, there's movies I don't like." <laughs> oh, that's that's fun. It's a um, t- that's a tough movie. Yeah. I was just telling I was just telling Brian a couple nights ago because we're doing the Star Wars movies. I went back and saw Phantom Menace for the first time since the theater, and it it it, it hurt me more than this Trump presidency. <laughs> like I felt it all throughout me. It felt racist and just everything about it was just awful. Except there's a couple good fight scenes and stuff, but but it, the great part is my nine year old didn't pick up on it. I mean, he was more confused, but he was still like kind of <laughs> entertained. And I'm like, all right, I'm, I can live with that. So I just had to hide my hide my feelings um anyway enough of that so my number five is an indie film um and it's just one that like anytime i show this to someone they laugh i laugh i have a couple dark comedies on my list that's where my comedy tastes strays and uh it's a movie as relevant today as when it came out about uh, i don't know six seven years ago and that is cheap thrills um by evan katz this i don't know why this one i can't shake this movie, every time I think about it, I laugh. I think Pat Healy gives one of my favorite performances of, of this entire period. Um, and for a movie that cheap, it's telling that it kind of has stayed with me this long. Um, I did show it to a class once and they kind of wait ape shit. They just, I mean, this had no profile. We, we all are like in indie film circles. So we have heard of it. We know the draft house. But you go outside that bubble and no one has heard of this movie. Like it's just one of those films that didn't travel outside their ad campaign, didn't make it outside. And it's, um, for those who don't know, I, I think think most of your discerning listeners will know all of our films but we'll see um this has got uh, a couple of people in kind of a downturn economic uh, period uh, pat healy has a baby on the way and he is kind of his job he's lost his job goes to a bar runs into an old friend who's a bit of a thug who uh kind of is an you know makes money by doing enforcer kind of stuff uh played by the equally awesome ethan embry um and then they run into comedian david keckner and Sarah Paxton, who are out on a night uh, to uh, of debauchery, and they have a lot of money and pay them to do increasingly crazy uh, things, and it gets to a point where it's just really grim and dark, but you still laugh. And I and I that's usually the kind of humor humor that crosses the line tends to be what what gets me. That's why I'm probably canceled as we speak, but um, <laughs> but, but, but I won't pay attention. Um, but yeah, no, I really love this film, and and it tells you. I mean, if you're putting this in f- five movies of 20 years of cinema and it's a, and it's a pretty low budget uh, independent film it tells you that must have connected and this one I just love it. Yeah, great pick man. You you've made me even appreciate that movie more than I did and I liked it when I saw it but we've talked about it so many times on Pure Cinema that I was just like I gave it a couple other looks I showed my son. It's just one of those movies that's really special and I'm so glad you keep um waving the flag for it. It might travel better now than ever. Mm. I think it's going to be especially relevant and prescient, unfortunately, in the coming months as we enter what's going to be, I suspect, a terrible recession, not to get you know weirdly uh, pessimistic here. But uh, I think that movie is going to play a lot darker and unfortunately more relatable in the coming months. Um, yeah, I remember I stayed up till midnight the night that that movie first hit VOD so that I could hmm. – like rent it right at midnight and stayed up till 2 a.m. watching it and fell completely in love with it. I love all four of those performances. I think they're all so good in such different ways. 
You know, you could watch the movie and just pay attention to any of the four actors and notice all this cool stuff that they're doing. I especially love when I watch it and pay attention to Sarah Paxson and just her on her phone the whole time is so funny. <laughs> um, and Keckner's big. He gives this big performance, but it totally works. Yes. Uh, I was at a charity gala thing for my an old school, the high, old high school I worked at a couple years ago, and he was one of the people there and just bonded. Like we just, as soon as I started talking about this movie, he was thrilled, and we started drinking together, and he was funny as hell, and he just kept saying things. They really fucked up the advertising of this one. Man. <laughs> no one, was, no one saw this movie, and I was like, oh, well, I did. So, <laughs> but yeah, yeah I used to. I, sorry, I just briefly, I used to see Keckner as part of a um, comedy troupe called Beer Shark Mice at the, um, oh man, the one of the comedy clubs out here in LA, one of the improv comedy clubs, and it was like him and like three other guys that I've seen in a bunch of movies since, and they were the funniest thing I've ever seen. They would take one suggestion from the audience at the beginning and do an entire interrelated skit thing for like an hour plus based on that one. And, it was just amazing and Kegner was always funny but so i saw that you know circa 2000 2001 and then to see him in so many movies and stuff has just been so rewarding and that's one of the media's performances he's been given so i love it it's amazing how well his his brand of insanity translates <laughs> to that kind of dark comedy yeah <clears throat> that's a great pick um yeah, I love that movie. I that I remember that making my top five. I think the year that it came out, I'm due for a rewatch. Well, and if you watch it, I would my suggestion is watch it with people who haven't seen it yet because that's kind of what made me fall in love with it again. Because I showed it just to a bunch. This was a few years ago, but I showed it to a bunch of young people who hadn't seen it, and they were just all into it. And then about a year ago, I thought about doing it again, and I had some people who were very delicate about animal stuff, and I remembered at the last minute. That's something that happens with an animal. And I was like, oh, yeah, I don't know. I didn't want to wade into that. But, um, you know, if the people know what they're getting in for. All right. Very nice. Um, Brian, what is your fifth pick or first pick, as it were? Yes, my number five. Well, I texted you last night about this, and I'm doing it. Um, <laughs> I'm going to invoke the Erica Bromley rule of ties that uh, exists as a legal entity thing on F This Movie. Um or we call it the sour rule on pure cinema. So, wait, um, but, but it's a hand. Uh, I know, like an extra. Pick. It's a mutated hand, dude. There's toxic oh, waste. It's a, it's disgusting. Six fingered man from Princess yes. Bride. If Erica's awake, you need to wake her up to be commissioner right now. Nicole <laughs> <laughs> <Like> Fowl. <laughs> so, um, I'm going to start with Mystery Team, which is a movie that I don't. This is one of those movies that I saw really early. Like I got a screener of it from somebody and. I just had never heard of Derek Comedy. I hadn't heard of um, Donald Glover at the time. And obviously, he's just blown up incredibly. But in 2009, like people did not know who Don, Don, Donald Glover was. So he just stood out as this great comedic performer. I mean, for people who don't know, it's basically about a group of kids who were like the Encyclopedia Browns of their neighborhood. And they would solve mysteries, um, kind of Scooby-Doo-ish. But now they're seniors in high school and they're still kind of acting like kids and they're kind of nuts and they get sucked into a murder investigation and it's incredibly funny almost throughout and then it gets super dark at the end too which i kind of love but it's just so goofy so ridiculous i can't even quantify why i love it so much but i just rewatched it today and i was still laughing out loud it's incredibly quotable as well i don't know how you guys feel about this one 
I saw it on your letterbox, and so I knew that this was going to make an appearance on your list, and that made me yeah. happy because, yeah, I think this is a really kind of underseen comedy, and it's kind of doing. It's a little bit like what the Brady Bunch movie tried to do back in the '90s, where it's like we take this group who are sort of unstuck in time; they're sort of this squeaky clean group of people from the past and we put them in a much darker present day and watch how they interact. And it's really, really funny. Yeah. And they, I think they do it better than the Brady. I mean, not that I have a problem with the Brady bunch. No, I agree. Yeah. I think those are fun, but yeah, it is exactly that, but done even better in my mind. Yeah. Um, Also has a great Scooby-Doo vibe, which I, I, it's like, that's who you wish would direct a Scooby-Doo movie. Somebody with that style. Uh, I think I told you at the time when you brought this up to me, but this is the, so my boss of the school I currently work at and have for the last few years, uh, he isn't there right now, but um, he's the main villain in the movie. <laughs> oh, so, that's so crazy. He, no kidding. So the way he gets dispatched in this movie, I will retain spoilers, uh, is something I like to always bring up. Wow. <laughs> he's an actor as well. So, it's, yeah, but it, it's a really fun movie. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's totally a cult comedy in the making and hopefully more people will i think it's on voodoo for free if people want to watch it you can watch it free oh very um, nice. the, the other one real quick just because i i don't know i like to bang a drum for this one it's take me home tonight from 2011 um it's streaming on netflix at the moment by the way it's just for me a really great throwback uh it's a one crazy night movie it's a subgenre i adore and it's i just think it does the throwback thing right and it, i think for me, the first time I watched it, I was like, oh, this just feels too obvious. And the more I watch it, the more I realize it's done from a place of um, absolute obsession, but also more than just doing the obvious thing. I mean, the basic idea is that um, Topher Grace plays a guy who works at Suncoast Video, which my wife immediately was like, well, that's why you love this movie. And I'm like, well, no, <laughs> that's not the only reason I love this movie. Um, he's gone to MIT. He's graduated and he's now home living with his parents played by Michael Bean. Oh, damn, I can't remember who plays his mom. Uh, but he's working at Suncoast. And he has a crush on a girl named Tori Fredericking. And she comes into the Suncoast. And he has, there's this great bit where he actually runs out the back door and comes into the Suncoast like he's just another customer. So he could pretend he doesn't work there. Um, and he ends up going to a party with her that night uh, through happenstance. And it's a crazy party. And... I don't know. It's just a blast. Uh, I think it's also the movie that uh, Anna Ferris and, and Chris Pratt met on um, and then got obviously married and subsequently divorced. Um, but it's it's cool to see. I think it was filmed in 2007. So you watch Anna Ferris and Chris Pratt especially. They look like babies. They look so young uh, in the movie. But yeah, it's just a blast. I just really love the soundtrack. I love the energy of it. I love it's It captures a John Hughes vibe but is still a little crazier than a John Hughes movie, a little funnier. Um, so it's like, I don't want to throw after hours in the mix, but if, if I had to throw a, a sense of humor, it has an after hours sense of humor mixed with a John Hughesy kind of vibe. And I just love the way it captures that. So I don't know. I think it's, it's on Netflix. You could give it a try. You may not like it the first time, uh, but give it a few watches. I just guarantee you'll come around. And so that's movie- my mutated finger <laughs> that movie kind of like uh came and went when it was released like it kind of died at the box office and i uh, have been wondering where like all the people who love stuff like can't hardly wait like why are they not discovering this movie as well because i think they're definitely 
cut from the same cloth. I'm not saying that it's that Can't Hardly Wait is a better movie. Um, because I, I actually, think you're right to the point where I actually thought I had seen it, but realized I haven't. I've seen, <laughs> Can't, seen Hardly Can't Hardly Wait. Wait. <laughs> I, I'm not I'm just dead serious. That's the one I was thinking of. I actually uh, like it better than Can't Hardly Wait, and I love love, love Can't Hardly Wait. Um, uh, so Ethan Embry playing his cheap thrills character in Can't Hardly Wait, better movie. <laughs> yes, yeah. very much. That's very much. Anyway, sorry. What's your number five, Patrick? Well, well before we get to Patrick, uh, Brian, what's your third number five? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to rush you. <laughs> we'll get to it. Get to it. Okay. We're going to be here a while. Just saying. <laughs> Uh, my number five is the only comedy on my list, and it's a movie that I know people like, but I'm really trying to – I'm waiting for time to catch up to it, and that is the Coen Brothers' Hail Caesar, Ooh, which I think a lot of people saw and were like, oh, okay, yeah, it's okay, good cast, but you know, it's minor Coens, and I just do not believe that it's minor Coens. I think it's one of their great movies, and they have a lot of great movies. Um I just I love the period. I love all the stuff about Hollywood in the 1950s. There's an amazing musical number with Channing Tatum halfway through the movie. Uh, everybody in it is really funny, but I also think it's a movie that has a lot of really interesting things to say, not just about capitalism, because there's a whole communism subplot that runs through it, but about religion as well, and sort of asking this question of who do you serve? Um, and it's a, it's a, it's a love letter to movie making. And I have a couple of those that like almost made my list. And this is the only one that did. Wow. I like this pick a lot, actually. Um, this movie was definitely, I think a head scratcher for a lot of people at the time, but I don't know, man, there's so many, there's like a Norman Torog joke in the movie. And, you know, for people that don't know, like he directed a bunch of stuff in the 1950s and I feel like he directed some Elvis movies or something. But I thought that joke was hilarious, and I'm like, that is just a, such a deep-cut joke to put in your movie. They're so committed to what's this period. I love it. It's amazing. you know. And all the stuff you talked about, the Hollywood in the 50s, the dance number, I mean... Well, one of the best scenes of any movie from this, day, this period is the is the discussion about religion around it. <laughs> it's just a genius. They, they're, it's funny. Like I need to see it again because in, in the theater, there was about four or five sequences that I thought were like the best of that year. But then there was other parts where I just were a little more forgettable, like George Clooney stuff was at the time for me a little more forgettable. So maybe I got to rewatch that. But uh, the Francis McDormand editor scene was one of the greatest things I've ever seen. <laughs> oh, so good. Uh, the guy plays Han Solo's comic scene where he go- enters the romance is just right. as good as it gets. Like about making movies, I think so. So I, I'm with you. I love that this is a pick on your list to remind people because I felt similarly about Buster Scruggs. There was stuff in there that's so good. Like some of those stories were so good. The couple were, you know, not ever bad. There's no bad note. Um, but maybe maybe because they are more based on sequences versus a lead character, traditional filmmaking style, might be why some people are less uh, reacting to them. Yeah, I think Buster Scruggs is more like uh, almost like a horror anthology where it's like it's going to be uneven by design. And the reputation of Hail Caesar is like, well, it's a collection of scenes that don't hold together. And some of the scenes are good and some of them, like you said, are less good. Uh, my belief, my conviction is that uh, it does all hold together if you're if you're looking for what the movie is trying to say. It all does hold together. Um, there's a line at near the end of the movie where uh, a director is talking to a guy up on a cross, and he says, "Are you a principal or an extra?" And that to me is the key to the whole movie. That's great. 
That's great. <laughs> that's really good. Yeah, I got to see it again. It's, that's a great thing about Coen Brothers movies. Even when you don't fully connect first time, if you watch it again or give it a little bit of time, I, th- I remember seeing Burn after reading a second time once and going, no, this is really funny. Like, yeah. um, you know, the only one I probably maybe wouldn't give another shot is Intolerable Cruelty, but even that has moments, you know. Um, but yeah, no, Coen Brothers are a gift that keep giving. Well, Brian, Absolutely. Brian, you just rewatched Lady Killers, right? I did, I did, yeah. It's 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 got moments, and okay. uh, and the Tom Hanks. I, I talked about this one on a hangout too. The Tom Hanks performance is one of his last comedic performances that I, I can think of, and so on that level, it's kind of a milestone for me. You know, I really enjoy his performance in that movie. is great. I, I talked about it on the show, but the um, the Marlon Wayans character, maybe not my favorite character they've ever come up with, and I, I get kind of what they're going for but it doesn't quite come off right and so that's difficult um but you know it's it's obviously coming from a uh ealing comedy kind of place so i don't know but i I enjoy tom hanks so much in that movie that it's like one of the great cohen performances in my mind he really nails that you know yeah that's uh, that's the one that i think i need to revisit because i don't know if i've seen it since the day it opened and that was my oh, takeaway wow. was like i really enjoyed the tom hanks performance but he's stuck in this movie that i'm not crazy about um but i haven't seen it since then it gets better i mean it's definitely broad broad like broader than raising arizona broad um in terms of the other characters which i think is also an incongruity of the film like you've got this very specific sophisticated comic performance around just the stupidest shit, which is fine. They do the stupidest shit as good as anybody. But somehow, yeah, it doesn't quite gel. I don't know. It's still good, though. I definitely recommend watching it again. Okay. That's yeah, the only one I haven't seen. I remember, that's the only one where a trailer somehow put me off seeing it at the time, <laughs> which is crazy because it, it's the Coen Brothers. It makes no sense. Uh, have they split up or are they just taking a break? Do you know? <laughs> I don't pay attention to this stuff very well, but I know that Eth- Joel's directing Macbeth with Denzel Washington as a movie without Ethan. Oh, and that's the first that. movie he's made solo. Yeah. It's, I think it's in the can. Uh, yeah. It's a, a telling of Macbeth with like Denzel and Brendan Gleeson and stuff. Uh, <laughs> so it sounds maybe more serious, but I, I don't know. I, I couldn't tell if that was more of a, Oh, it doesn't make sense for us to do that movie together. I hope that's the case. Yeah. I hope they aren't split up because there's clearly some alchemy there that. Oh yeah. is almost un, you know, con- copyable. There's a really good book of short stories by Ethan Cohen that's really enjoyable. So, and you see how much of the voice is his, you know, big time. So, yeah. All right, yeah, yeah. my what's your next finger? Index finger? What's that? Finger? <laughs> what is that weird? Ring thing? finger. Which ring finger? Yeah, ring finger. Yep. That makes sense. My ring finger is a movie that anyone who listens to uh, one of the other shows that I do, uh, Shockwaves, this won't surprise anyone. Um, and I guess. Part of doing this list is you kind of think, oh, this is going to be boring because I talk about it. But then you realize no, a lot of people have never seen these movies. So uh, that is The Black Coat's Daughter. Um, uh. That's a movie from the second I saw it. I don't know what it is because I've, I've shown this to a few people who did not care for it. Uh, and and I, what I know is it's real because usually what happens is you fall in love with a filmmaker's style and then you like every movie by them. And so far, all the films by this director I should love and I haven't liked them particularly. I, I, I feel they all have had the surface of the thing I want, but not the story engine or the emotional connection. But The Black Coat's Daughter completely did. And I, I got really lucky. I saw a good friend of mine uh, is an actor, Mark Kelly, who's in um, the Dodeca Decathlon and some, some other stuff. He took me to a 
like one of those screenings that happened before screenings for critics. I think it was like a, for the agency of an actress. I, I think that was the only one I ever went to. And I was expecting it to be totally shit because he's like, it's a horror film. And I thought you should come. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be one of those like cheap, just terrible, unwatchable movies. And I, I just my jaw is on the ground by the end of it because I was like, this is everything I want to do in a movie. Like just tonally. It has this very dread-inducing rhythm. I think it it does the A24 thing better than I feel like uh, any of their movies have, have yet of what horror, that kind of horror can be. Um, but it's, yeah, so it's really simple. It's, it's Oz Perkins, Anthony Perkins' son is the director who was the, the actor from Legally Blonde before this. Um, <laughs> you can all look him up and uh, see why he went to directing, maybe. I just um, watched Legally Blonde about two weeks ago and I was like, holy shit. I know, it's so weird. And he's just so cartoony in that. Uh, but Lucy Boynton is is I love Lucy Boynton. I mean, Karen Shipka is the kind of the lead. Emma Roberts uh, halfway through becomes one of the leads. But Lucy Boynton, I think, is this actress who is just someone I think is going to have a huge career. She was in um, oh, what's the movie I love? The Irish one with the singing Sing Street. Uh, Sing Sing yep. Street, which I just adore fuck it should have been on this list i was gonna say um, I, I thought for sure it would be yeah uh, i totally for- i actually just forgot about it but it would, it would be <laughs> i will keep it for scratching at the door all right uh, it's a beautiful uplifting movie for this time period um black coat's daughter is less so but uh yeah it's, it's all set at this boarding school i think he just he gets under the surface of the way textures are and and in a in a way that's closer to lynch not in the way that lynch feels all weird but just in the way that you remember the way the film felt more than you remember the narrative. Um, and it's it's also this boarding school where uh, people whose parents haven't come to pick them up over winter break, there's only a handful. And uh, Kiruna Shipka from Mad Men, the little girl, is stuck there because she f- is going to find out that something happened to her parents. And she's kind of, she doesn't find out straight away. And she's trying to bond with a slightly older girl, played by Lucy Boynton, who's not that interested in her and is kind of having a thing with the guy. And you really think Lucy Boynton's the lead at the start. And kind of, it's just got a really clever way of kind of playing with a uh, point of view. But you find out that some dark entity is basically stalking the younger one. And it becomes one of the best films I've seen about horror and grief and just like kind of uh, the devil type stuff which i'm not always into um when it comes to horror often um i think this one got got it uh, the best for me I, this is you know uh, along with the film that will be outside my five uh this would be my favorite horror film of this period which is crazy given how many good horror films have come out but i think it's partly just the way it feels um for me i wouldn't want to spoil it but i think it's on uh netflix i think it has been for a long time and it's also it was originally called february but they had to move up two letters in the alphabet so as they could uh, be higher placed on Netflix, which is true. I'm not just saying that. That's actually why it's called The Black Coat's Daughter, um, which is just really ridiculous. I mean, if it was a Z title, right? But F, really? You can't scroll to F? Come on. <laughs> Guys. You know, uh, modern about, movie making. It's 2020. <laughs> <laughs> But I love this film, and it's you know I, I don't um, you know there's there's other horror films that I understand why people would like more, but this is what I mean by this is the thing that I like about Handshake. I can't not put this in. Like there's a part of me that's like ah, I shouldn't bother talking about that. I should fit something new in. It's like I, I have no choice. This film got under my skin, and I have to keep telling people about it. It's a great uh, it's a great movie. Um, 
I've only seen it the one time and I need to revisit it, but I remember it really leaving an impression. I love what you said about like, you remember how it felt more than what it's about. Cause that's what sticks with me. It's been a few years since I saw it, but I remember how it felt to watch it. I don't totally remember like the stuff that happens, even as you're talking about some of the plot elements, I'm like, Oh right. Lucy Boynton is in this movie and she plays like the friend. And, um, but I forgot really all like, that. You start to really like her. Well, I, I do. I found her. I also just find her incredibly attractive, you know? Um, but but it also does say, like usually movies that have like a big twist say in the middle not towards the end but like a major oh you're going to change how you watch the movie usually that's really obvious and this one it took me a few minutes before I even understood what had happened I'm not going to obviously reveal it but like it's major and it took me a few minutes and once I did it was so much more satisfying to not spoon feed that in terms of it's it's a very interesting structured film for for I, I can't say any more about it otherwise it would totally kind of ruin it but um, yeah. No, just love this film. Cool choice. Yeah. Um, my next one here, number four. Uh, I, you know, it's funny. Again, back to Letterbox. You go to check a movie out, and you're like, "Oh, I've logged this movie four times in the past yeah. two years." That says something. I didn't even realize I'd watch it that much. Um, but yeah, this one is one I saw in the theater when it came out. It was not a crowded theater. I thought people were really excited about it, you know, when it came out or when the trailers came out. But uh, uh, it just seemed to thud when it when it uh, finally landed. And so, um, anyway, it's pop star, never stop, never stopping. Oh, very nice. From twenty sixteen, yeah. This movie, I mean, it's an obvious thing to say. It's the new Spinal Tap. Blah blah blah. You know, in a world where Christopher Guest has made so many movies like he's made, and The Office exists, and all these things, I feel like maybe. I don't know, maybe people are getting tired of the gimmick, you know, or whatever. I don't know. But I just think this is as funny as this kind of movie can be, and in fact, funnier than you would think it would be, based, again, on a sort of a broad comedic thing that they're doing and that it is purported to be doing through the trailers. I'm kind of surprised how funny this movie is. Yeah, I don't know how you feel about it, Patrick. No, I'm a huge fan of it. I, you know, I'm a I'm a big fan of any comedies, and Hot Rod had the very same feel. Um, where you go see it, and you're like, I they got away with something here. Like some studio exec wasn't paying attention, <laughs> and they were able to sneak this movie out into theaters because it's so wild. Like the the humor in that movie, uh, and just how many jokes there are, and how funny it is. Um, but again, it, it holds together. There is an actual story being told, and there is kind of an emotional spine to the whole thing. It's not just like a sketch comedy movie, which I like sketch comedy movies, but uh, for a long time, you think that's kind of what it is, and then it, the, the actual story comes a little bit into focus. But it's it's endlessly funny and endlessly quotable, and the songs are amazing and also very funny. Yeah, I uh, mean, that's the other thing, is those guys, the Lonely Island guys are just great craftsmanship when it comes to comedic songs, joke songs. Like, I don't even want to call them joke songs because they're genuinely good, melodically good songs and that they've dissected a thing about and just made it ridiculous in terms of the lyrics. And that's what they do here for a whole guy's career, which I just think is amazing. It's so... And the songs are in the albums and everything about Connor for real. Uh, <laughs> and Andy Samberg in this movie is so ridiculous. It's so funny. You know? They're such good. I'm feeling uh, guilty for having not seen it after you've. I think you've you've pitched this one like three times. I think to me, you know, <laughs> over the years, I feel like I should see it now. I pitch comedies all the time, though. I mean, this whole list is comedies, by the way. 
Well, I, I, I never saw that show that he's in, Brooklyn Nine Nine, which obviously has a huge following. I think it's hilarious. I think it's okay. a really funny show. Yeah, it's really Personally. good. Definitely recommend that. But yeah, no, it's just just this is the time that I'm in, the mode that I'm in right now. It's it's all comedies for me. But yeah, this one I just keep. I watch it with my son. We'll just keep coming back to it, and it still busts me up. You know, the, the everything, the songs, the bits. You know, anyway. And it's the kind of movie I think that when people do finally see it, Elric, um, that they're kind of like, wait, shit, how did I not see this movie? You know, like they're like, how did I not discover this movie sooner? Because it's so funny. Why wasn't this on my radar? Why wasn't this a bigger hit? Why weren't more people talking about this? Um, because well, it's now- almost like the very thing that that's satirizing is probably what's putting me off pushing play. Because I see the, the the logo and the word pop star, and it's like, oh, well, I, I hate that shit. <laughs> right, <laughs> and right. so the very thing he's probably indulging and in making fun of is probably what, what's stopping me, to be honest. I feel it, yeah. I mean, and how many times have we heard this is the new Spinal Tap? I mean, I just feel like that, for film fans, that's like a go-to shortcut to describing a movie about something like this. And it's a music movie, so it's easy to make that. But I really right. legitimately think it inherits the mantle of Spinal Tap, and it's that good and that funny consistently. So more, more people should check it out. I think we need the episode of Pure Cinema where uh, you force me. Like, I pick five <laughs> films you have to watch that I've been recommending for years, and you pick five I have to watch, and then we'll see, because we'll probably love most of them, you know what I mean? I, I'm sure we will. No, so. that's definitely an episode we talked about doing. Yeah, yeah. we got to do it. We've done that a couple times on If This Movie with my friend Robin, and she always picks like three-hour-long epics for me to watch. <laughs> and what I, did you pick for her? I feel like we're some of the ones you picked. I don't know. Good shit. Uh, <laughs> not that she doesn't pick good shit, but like we're doing one coming up. I have to watch The Sound of Music. I've never seen The Sound of oh, Music. Oh, shit. Yeah. Wow. And what did you – well, no, you want to spoil what you gave her, but – I gave her The Wild Bunch. Oh, nice. Wow, two epics. Two yeah, very different. It's the only movie I'll never recommend to anyone ever again is The Wild Bunch because the one time – it's Chicago, your freaking city, uh, at Columbia <laughs> College. I showed it to a group of 20-year-olds, and they are just like, oh, this is just so outdated. It's just so boring. I don't like the style. And I decided in that moment I would never show it to another human. <laughs> I'm keeping that movie for me. Thank you very much. Oh Such my. a good movie. It really it was one of the few times I've been upset by a student's reaction. And and then and he had the goal about a year ago. This was like ten years ago I taught this kid. About a year ago he wrote to me just saying out of the blue how well he was doing, and then he ended his thing by saying, And the wild bunch still sucks. Oh no. Wow. Like, so he knew that he had gotten to me. Wow. If he's listening to this, he's dead. Well he's still <laughs> wrong. That's crazy. He is he's wrong. So wrong. Anyway. Yeah. I love all it's a fun concept to swap movies. I'm I look I like those episodes with you and Robin. Those have been fun. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, you guys should definitely do it just to force Elric to see Popstar. <laughs> That's a good idea. I'm trying to think what would be the first thing. I think there's a couple, like, you'd never saw the proposition, right? Yeah, that's the number one on the that list. That would definitely be one of the. Did you you had seen Killer Joe? I can't. I haven't. That's the second one on the okay. list. Those are the two number one and two that I. Killer would... Joe, I kind of forgot on this list too. It would have been scratching. It would have been in the top few, but not quite the five. But I yeah. love it. No, I want to see both of those. But I also um, want to know what Patrick's number four is. Oh, my number four is. Uh, well, He's I love probably it. changing the list as we were speaking. <laughs> Basically, um, no, I keep remembering stuff and like typing it, like oh, for the scratching at the door. Um, I'm a big action movie fan. I was trying to think of a movie that sort of summarizes my love of action movies, and uh, and I feel like most of the movies on my list tend to fall into that sort of. 
underrated or underseen, same as the ones you guys are picking. Um, I guess that's where all of our tastes kind of gravitate or we're trying to get more people to see these movies. Uh, it's a movie I've talked about a lot at F this movie, and that is uh, Michael Mann's adaptation of Miami Vice. Ooh. Oh, interesting. Very cool. Convince me why I should go back. Because I saw it one time in theaters, and there was some stuff I really liked, but then some of the digital stuff I, at the time, just was being dismissive of. So so sell me again. I kind of had the same reaction, honestly, when we went to see it theatrically in, I guess, 2006. I was like, that was okay. You know, it seemed like he was doing Collateral, but he, the Collateral was better. Um, but this has now become my favorite Michael Mann movie, which is insane because think about how wow. many great movies he has. Um, but this one is my favorite and probably one that I rewatch once a year. Um, I don't know I, it, when it came out on like DVD or something, I must've watched it and it was just like, holy shit. It was like seeing a brand new movie, even though mm. it was not a brand new movie. It was the same movie, but I was just knocked out by like, how, how did I miss the boat on this? Um, I think the digital stuff has actually aged really well, and I think it's just such an interesting exploration of a lot of his themes. It's so sort of minimalist in terms of dialogue and character uh, development. It's like this tone poem action movie, this sort of weird hyper-masculine uh, art film. Um, I just... You know, and it's about these men who are driven by their obsessions and their careers. And it, it's the same thing that, you know, Michael Mann is exploring in every movie. And he doesn't give a shit if you can follow it or not. It's like a movie you almost have to watch with the subtitles on because it just throws you into this case and all this police speak. And he could care less if you're able to keep up or not. Uh, I just love how singularly it focuses on, like, the job. Um, and I was, I remember being very distracted by like Colin Farrell's mustache and haircut and it is grown <laughs> on me. He's a real dirtbag in the movie, but he was like coked out of his mind at the time that they made it. I, I didn't find out till after the fact that like they basically had to scrap the entire final act of the movie because of a, a hurricane and B Jamie Foxx, like wouldn't return to the country where they were shooting. Mm. So they just had to basically end the movie where they had finished shooting Wow. Um, and kind of create a new ending for the whole thing. Wouldn't um, return why? Because it was very dangerous. I think there oh, were like God, some God. shootings going on and he was I'm like, crazy. yeah, fuck that. I'm not going back. No, I don't blame him. I don't blame him. That's, yeah. that's, uh, makes sense. I think you're right about the digital though. I think um, especially um, public enemies definitely suffered from that, but that, that was a period piece. Yeah. But, but I think it's about seeing it on the big screen actually. Like most movies we, we say, oh, you have to see it on the big screen. I, I could see that maybe that would age better seeing it at home. You know, versus the expectations you had at that time to see it on a big screen where things just looked a little weird back then for the first right, time. Right. But I, I remember liking it. I just didn't love it. And I was a little I, I loved collateral. So I was, you know, just slightly perplexed. But I have been meaning to re-see that one. And I still haven't seen done Black Cat, uh, which I hear the director's cut is pretty good. I haven't seen the I haven't seen the director's cut, but I do like Black Hat. And and some of that is just because I like Michael Mann and, and Black Hat is just Michael Mann porn. It's just like, you know that <laughs> stuff you like about my movies? Here it is. Um, oh, yeah. We all like Mann. I think Mann's great. Yeah. yeah. The Insiders is huge for me. Huge movie. Yeah, probably his best movie, I think. 
for uh, me. Sport, come on, sport. I like <laughs> I like me some Manhunter and Thief. I like both of them. I like I oh Thief, God damn, I forgot. Thief is Thief. so freaking good. That that diner scene is All just right. another. I take another it back. Level. Thief is his best movie. I take it back. <laughs> but but he pretty- shows how many lanes he can do. I mean, the fact yeah. that Insider is in the conversation to be one of his top two, I think, and the fact that that's like a bio pick of some guy it, it should be just boring as fuck that's the yeah. thing that amazes me about that movie yeah no it's crazy how engrossing and emotional that movie it's incredible it's really i mean for anybody like there is a part of me that thinks sometimes he's one of those colder filmmakers but then i come back to some of them especially that one but some of the other ones too there's a lot of emotion there and it's probably more than he would even like you to see if it, it, it feels he feels like that kind of guy to me i don't know that's just wild observations but all right, so we're moving on to Middle Finger, middle which is finger. perfect. I'm giving you the Middle Finger with this film, which I view as basically a perfect movie in that sense of construction. Uh, it kind of has no obvious flaws, but in the same way, I know a lot of people who just don't like it and didn't appeal to them. Something about it turns people off, uh, and that is Park Chan-wook's uh, Stoker, which to me is every time I, I see it a lot. So a couple of these movies are on my list because I show them in a class once a year, and have just found them to really connect to people. And this one's fascinating because um, it's often younger, you know, 20-year-olds kind of is a, the age range I teach. Often the younger uh, girls in the class, in the filmmaking class, are the ones who come up to me afterwards saying how much they're blown away by this movie. And it really pushes the boundaries of sexuality and has a lot of kind of perverse and strange things about it. But And the female, the lead character is, you know, very a, a character really pushing the edge. Uh, of even good taste at times and so I'm always really impressed at how much this film wins people over it's one of the most beautifully designed movies I've seen in the modern era outside of Hitchcock in my opinion like it feels the closest I've seen to somebody doing a true ode to what Hitchcock did like I know De Palma and so many people have done it but this is the one film where I'm like oh it's weird Park Chan-wook really gets it and it's you know it's 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 you know a shadowy uh shadow of a doubt uh, has a bit of a presence in this movie for sure you have an uncle charlie returning home that kind of stuff but there but the color and the the editing style where it will have these beautiful graphic matches there's a very famous shot in this where, where uh the girl's combing nicole kidman's hair and and it traces down the brush on her hair to these perfect a uh, shot of fields where it's basically invisible to switch between the hair and these kind of um, cornfields, and it's and it's sublime. It's like it really for a movie that's that beautiful. It's also really fucked up, really dark and twisted, um, and just it hits the genre in a way that I love. It's debatable whether you want to call it a horror film or a thriller um, for sure, but it's you know it's written by Wentworth Miller, the guy from Prison Break. It's like I, should, I just couldn't believe it when I learned that back in the day. I can't imagine what that could have been in somebody else's hands. Uh, but Park Chan-wook, it's so far as only English language uh, feature. He did obviously a, a TV um, miniseries thing. But it has, um, in terms of stars, you know, Nicole Kidman's great. Uh, Mia Wasikowska, is, this is the role that really put her on the map for me. Uh, Matthew Good is Uncle Charlie. Dermot Moroni's the dad. Um, there's just something about the way this film simmers. And I think some people, if they haven't seen, have only seen it once, it's a film that really benefits the second viewing. Because once all the thriller twists are out on the table it's a much better movie because there's so much going on in terms of the design of this movie and uh yeah every time i've shown it i've I've seen something new um especially in the kind of editing design of the film 
So I don't want to give away too much, but it's definitely a very dark family drama uh, after a young girl's uh, father has died. Uh, her uncle, the guy's brother, comes to stay with them and insidious things start happening. But there's also fun stuff where it's almost psychic connections and all these things that, you you, you know, it's, I, I often show this in a coming of age section because it's really it's a fun film to show with that in mind, uh, because what it's coming of age of isn't traditional. Um, but, yeah, I wouldn't want to say too much more. But I, I utterly love, I mean, it's my it's crazy that this is my favorite Park Chan-wook film, which is insane, given how good he is yeah. in his native language. It, this is my favorite. And it's because, I don't know, maybe it's just the amount of times I've seen it. Um, and the running time is very manageable. Some of his, um, I think some of his films in uh, South Korea are a little longer. Um, but yeah, love this film. Very cool, sir. It's a great movie. It's, uh, and I remember this being the movie that kind of put Nicole Kidman back on the map for me because she'd been doing like a lot of comedies, Stepford Wives and Bewitched and... Uh, some movies that I either didn't care for or didn't even bother seeing. And then it was like, oh, shit, yeah, Nicole Kidman's still really, really good. And obviously now she's been doing a ton of stuff and TV and everybody's back in love with Nicole Kidman. But I remember Stoker being the movie where I was like, oh, shit, Nicole Kidman is really amazing. It's it's uh, it's certainly one of the best made movies, I think, of the last 10 years. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. It, like I said, it does benefit from repeat viewing, unlike some movies. But I, I think she's been the best working actor out uh, post Eyes Wide Shut. Like I remember when I saw Eyes Wide Shut, I saw such a difference in what she then started picking. I mean, you're right; she's done other crap along the way. But just every couple of years, you'll see her in something really challenging. Like you watch yeah. Killing of a Sacred Deer, and you're like, Jesus, she just goes for it. Yeah. Like just fearless, completely fearless in what she chooses to work on. Um, and this is one of those roles, pretty. Uh, it gets pretty nasty. Um, but yeah, I don't know what it is that turns some people off, though, because I do remember on Shockwaves, it was me and Rebecca's number one of the year it came out, and Rob hated it. And I don't want to say he hates it, because he might not have hated it, but he didn't. A, he also didn't think it was, should be on a horror list. I remember having a disagreement with him So on this one. So, you know, I, I think it's always interesting uh, what might turn somebody on, but he equally turn someone off on a movie. This is definitely an Elric movie for me. Um, just a movie I know you love and I love that you love it. It's good stuff. All right, Brian, what's next for you? Uh, Middle finger, middle finger. that actually kind of works for this because, (laughs) um, Harvey Picar is a person who definitely is kind of giving the middle finger to some people. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so I'm talking about American splendor from 2003 and I just fucking love this movie. This is one I revisited probably the first year we were doing the show. We did an episode with Larry Karaszewski about, you know, based on a true story, um, which is a super fun episode. Larry's the best guest. He's one of our, my favorites that we've had on the show a few times. Um, Anyway, I rewatched it then and I was like, holy shit, I love this movie. I forgot how much I love the characterization as done by Paul Giamatti. And I'm, I never was not in love with Hope Davis, but like mm. seeing her again. And then Mumford came out on Blu ray recently. And I yeah, rewatched it. Did. I mean, just I, a, a day trippers too. Like it's been a run of Hope Davis on Blu ray. And I Wait, are we all Hope Davis Mumford fans here? Because I love yes. Mumford. And Mumford I love Hope Davis in that film. Yeah, oh. no, she is amazing in that. I mean, she's easily one of my favorite parts of that movie. Um, outside of Lauren Dean, who's really fucking good in that movie, by the way, and I don't get why Lauren Dean is not uh, never, never a lead like before or since. 
But it's crazy. Mumford, he's amazing. Yeah, God, yeah, he is movie. just unstoppably good in yeah. that movie. Anyway, um, but yeah, so watching the mix of documentary sort of interview stuff with Harvey Harvey Pekar himself, and integrating you know his comics into the narrative the way they do, and his sense of humor. I mean, it is just. I mean, if you know, if we're going to talk about comic book movies, it's probably my favorite one, <laughs> um, <laughs> just because it is so. I don't know, like. I don't know his his take on the world is very specific and oddly relatable for me and I'm not 100% on board with everything you know because there's a lot of negativity but um I can re- appreciate it certainly uh and like I said you know Giamatti's performance Judah Friedlander's performance is really good mm-hmm. um I, I love James Urbaniak as Crumb in the movie like that's super fun um I don't know it's just a great portrait of a man who took certain kinds of energy and put it into something creative which then comes out as this other creative thing and it's just i don't know it's got layers man it's got layers i just rewatched it um not too long ago because erica and i did one of our revisiting our favorite movies of you know x year so we were doing 2003 and so we rewatched it and um she was particularly taken with it. She like was in tears by the end of the movie. She was so moved by some of the stuff with him and his daughter. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's a big thing for me too. I think I noticed on this most recent rewatch, I hadn't seen it since I had a daughter. So it definitely affected me differently. Yeah. I found myself appreciating its construction so much because again, I, I think I appreciated it in 2003, but you know, I've seen 17 years worth of movies since then. And none of them are put together the way that movie is put together. And so it's like, oh, this is so refreshing to see a movie that is doing so many different things with a, with, with a conventional biopic. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised somebody hasn't ripped it off. I mean, yeah. not nothing sacred. And I don't want somebody to do that. But it is such an interesting idea and so unique in that way. I guess whatever. Nobody does it again, then it's the only movie. And that's great. But yeah, in terms of the construction... It is so like refreshing. It's a perfect word for it. You watch it and you're just like, oh, this is so nice. I love this kind of storytelling. And Giamatti's best. I mean, yep. he's so good. And I haven't no seen questions. it since the theaters, but I, it, I was a fan of the comic as well. So I, I, I came to it through that, wanting to see it because of that. But yeah, it's so interesting. Yeah, you're right. It's, they're documentarians as well, right? The, do, the filmmakers? Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Very nice. What's next there, Patrick? Uh, my middle finger pick, I'll make the movie that just, just (laughs) made my list about 30 minutes before we started recording. I was going to keep it off because the movie's kind of a mess. Uh, maybe I shouldn't say that because this is a movie from a previous Pierce Cinema guest. Uh, and that is, I don't know that he's going to listen to this unless he seeks out everything you guys do, which he might, I don't know. Uh, this is Richard Kelly's Southland Tales. Oh, nice, cool. nice, which nice. is a movie I saw in 2007, and and was 2007 is like an epically good year for movies. I mean, I could almost make a you know a handshake list just from 2007 movies. Um, and so Southland Tales wasn't even like in my top ten that year, but something about it, I saw it. You know, it played at my local multiplex for less than a week. I think by when that Wednesday, something had, there was a new release and they bumped Southland Tales. So it was in my theater for five days. Luckily I saw it during those five days and, uh, something about it just stuck with me and it has become the single 
purest representation of this thing that I'm always chasing. I love a movie that takes big swings and I love a movie that, uh, sometimes it's reach maybe is a little bit greater than its grasp. Um, Mm -hmm. and that to me is Southland tales. He's trying to do so much and it's not all entirely successful, but enough of it lands for me. And I'm so fascinated by the alchemy of the whole thing, his casting choices, Mm. the way he's mixing science fiction and politics and dark comedy. Um, and there's these moments in it that work again. You know, we've talked a few times about like in hail Caesar, where there's moments that are as good as anything you're going to see in a movie. I mean, the scene that everybody points to is this Justin Timberlake musical number to the killer song. Um, and it's, the movie comes alive in this way and it's as good as anything Richard Kelly has done in that sequence. Um, but I, I, I'm drawn to the movie over and over again. In fact, I put it on just before we started recording. Cause I was like, this really needs to be on my list. Uh, and so I rewatched just the first half hour, which is a lot of like backstory and explanation. And I know he's been talking lately about possibly releasing the cut, that played at con that then he had to cut like 30 minutes out of and um, arrow maybe is teasing a possible like special edition Blu-ray or so I'm told, I don't know how much stock to put in that, but I really wish somebody would scoop it up and give it kind of the special edition treatment because it, it defines cult movie to me. Um, And it's a movie that I love warts and all. Well, yeah. of all of our, uh, sorry, I was just going to say, of, of all our guests that we've got, and that was the one that kind of blew my mind the most, because that was the one that I just feel like he wasn't on the radar anymore, and I think I had come across a Guardian article with him, where he was just talking about how he's kind of amp- ramping back up to return to film, and that's when I, I think I said it to Brian, like, holy shit, like, may, there's a chance we could get, you know, have a conversation with the guy who made freaking Donnie Darko and Southland Tales, and it was super exciting, and it just was it was really interesting. I thought talking to him was one of the most interesting and he, and he's so kind of, he's at a good point to reflect on those things now with some distance. I, I there's no one I'm rooting for more to have another act because he's only, he's, he's our age, you know, he's not past it. He's already had a, he's had a 10 year career and then been gone for 10 years and still is only our age. So there's a good chance he could have another act here. And I hope, I hope he does. Well, I'm two things. One, he's only made three films and they're all interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I don't yeah what for sure. Say. But speaking to Southland specifically, like I'm a big fan of it. Uh, my wife and I saw it at a theater. I think we found out through Phil Blankenship where it was playing because I know Phil is a fan too. And it was a very you know sparsely attended theater, and I think it left like the next day, so we just got in in time. But it was such. It's like you say, so ambitious in what it's trying to do, and it could really benefit. I think from that extra half hour. I think it's such a big canvas movie you know that um hearing him talk about maybe working with netflix and i don't know what that means if it means tv some kind of series or whatever um on our show got me really excited because i feel like he's the kind of guy that really paints on a big canvas you know and to stuff him into a movie is almost i mean he can certainly do it but i would love to see what he'd do with a broader canvas you know he's just got such an incredibly interesting you know, point of view and mix of influences and with such a sweet guy in person to be, to be honest. So I just, I really curious what else he'd do, you know, it was really cool. 
It was really cool to hear him on your show talking about the box as much as he did, because I think that's a really interesting and kind of underrated movie. And so it was really cool to hear uh, you guys dive a little bit deep on that, because I haven't really heard him talk about it, um, because by the time it came out, it was like, okay, Richard Kelly, three three strikes, you're out. Um, it's just crazy that Donnie Dark is a strike, because yeah. when I rewatched it for the episode, I was like, I mean, if I was doing my what are the best movies of this period, Donnie Darko would be on that list. I think it's I think it holds up so well as a teen film. Like to yeah. me, it's it's up there with Hughes teen films for me. Like it it's as good as that stuff. So which is crazy to think that he yeah, like I said, a couple of the things he mentioned to us, I can't remember if it was off or on that sounded promising. So let's let's hope we uh, see that soon, because he definitely seemed like he had taken stock of what he wanted to do and how to get control back of a career, because I guess that's half the battle. Yeah, I would love it if he came back because he definitely makes the kinds of movies that I really like. You know, they're they're mixing a lot of things together and they're trying to do a lot of things. And I like a filmmaker who was really trying. He feels like somebody who would do, I mean, this is just you know, a fan fan service, but he feels like someone who should work for Jordan Peele. You oh, know what yeah. I mean? Like, I feel like Jordan Peele would look at someone like that and get what he's trying to do and then support him and make it happen. Cause I feel like they're similar. I think Jordan maybe came around at a better time for this stuff. Um, Cause I feel like, you know, some of the criticism towards us might've been similar stuff that would be level at someone like Kelly and you know it works for me uh, but I totally get the criticism too so they're big swings you know um, big ideas and very yeah. Twilight zone and runs through both of their blood um, for all we know they are working together I don't know um, index finger is that the pointy finger that's yeah the point the pointy finger Yes. Oh, well, this film's probably the most point. So, okay, this is because I had to move uh, one of mine, uh, you, which I'll mention in the number one spot because it's directed by the same person. It allowed for this one to slip in, and this is going to be the most baffling to you guys, I think, for me, because it's not like genre the way the rest of the film is. only like serious drama, but this is a film that has every year I have, again, shown it to people. It's a very tough physical film to watch, and it is so emotional by the end of it that I'm just like, it almost like, um, I don't want to be cheesy cause I'm not religious. So whatever, I get that born again feeling, but it kind of, it comes through watching this movie in a way because of what it does with the language of movies. It, it plays around so much. And that is, uh, Julian Schnabel's the diving bell and the butterfly. Uh-huh. It's, it's just this movie that if I had just asked me, I'd seen it one time and really liked it. I remember going, oh, that's great. It's a serious in quote marks, serious movie. And I remember having obviously has this brilliant gimmick that it just does, you know, incredibly because Janusz Kaminski shoots it and it's the best thing he's ever done, you know, and that's including everything he did with Spielberg, in my opinion, in terms of like placing the camera in the physical uh, point of view of a character who is bound um, to only be able to blink with his eye. And they do some things in the making of this film that just blew my mind where they're like putting a prosthetic over the camera and, and sewing it up and half into it's all like gelled up the whole way through. It's just, it's really a remarkable movie and the craft but but forget all that when you're watching it it is it's a little bit painful because you're they really go all the way with placing you in the viewpoint of a guy who has an accent so he's he's um for those who don't know julian schnabel for one wasn't a filmmaker he's one of the most famous when you watch um wall street uh you every time you see gordon gecko behind him there will be julian schnabel paintings to show how rich he was because they were the most expensive artwork kind of like damien hearst uh stuff is now it's kind of ludicrous and it's not that good <laughs> at least to me what i think of as art um and then julian schnabel i guess at one point was good friends with basquiat 
and decided to make a film about him, which I think is also a really beautiful movie. Um, but this is another level. So it's about the editor of L, which in um, in France is a big deal. At that time, it was like the number one magazine, all about fashion and style. He's only forty three years old, and he's like riding the high life. Uh, he's like you know having multiple you know affairs and uh, estranged from his kids, and just you know fast car, and then he just has this heart attack that's more of a mixture of that and a brain aneurysm and he is you know condemned to life in a wheelchair only being able to blink with one eye that's it and he writes a fucking book with one eye and anytime my students have problems with their papers i'm always like this dude could do it with one eye (laughs) you know you can't write one paper he wrote 150 pages with blinking um to me there's no greater motivator but it's it's on the surface it could be cheesy and it's the it's completely almost at every point it, it avoids cliche and cheese and goes towards something that's really emotional has one of the best soundtracks i've ever like it's one of the soundtracks i listen to the most you know everything from tom waits to uh i can't remember what else is on there but just all sorts of crazy really evocative stuff velvet underground that kind of stuff um but it's mostly the way it you know something i'm always looking for in film and i don't we don't get it enough is this idea that you know up until the 20s we did a silent film episode i think which is one of our least heard but best episodes of pure cinema and what you see, and especially in the pics we had, is cinema just go, you know, growing in leaps and bounds visually in that period. You know, you look at something like Sunrise, and you're like, holy shit, what are they doing with the camera? And then it just, sound comes in, and it all kind of takes a backseat. Visuals take a backseat for another 15 years. And the, the kind of language of cinema slows down. But this movie is truly one of those movies where they're trying so many new things. And, and um, you know, frame rates and... Uh, sh- shutter speeds and what you can do put on a lens it just but not for a gimmick it's to show how this guy experienced the rest of his life and the people who cared about him and it's it's very weird for me to put this on the list but the more i thought about it, it's like there's nothing that has moved me more than this movie and that i've because i've kind of forced myself to watch it every year i wouldn't watch it on my own volition because it's you know but not that kind of movie but I'm kind of glad I do watch it every year because it keeps reminding me of how what movies can do um, in terms of moving people and showing experience. And maybe you need an outsider's viewpoint to do that, not just another filmmaker who makes film after film. Maybe it has to be somebody who doesn't make a film, you know, one or two a decade um, so they can kind of find that thing. I don't know if you guys have seen this one or not. This is the first movie on the list that I have not seen. Okay. Then uh, has Erica seen this one? I don't know. I'd have to go wake her up. I would just, I would, I would, I would just pause <laughs> um, and tell her Elric wants to know. Uh, but I think this would be a great one, uh, less so for the kids. But I, I think she, I would be shocked if this didn't move her deeply. Yeah. But I also think you both might. I, I think that's the problem sometimes with serious movies or dramas. You know, often I'm and I'm first in line to be like sometimes I just am not in the mood and then sometimes i will catch one and be like oh it wasn't what i thought it was going to be this is one of the ones that's not what i thought it was going to be you know it's not the bullshit cheesy version of the same story right uh it's it's some and also that actor the guy who's the bad guy in the bond film matthew almarek in the in the bond film recently that wasn't quite as good um he's the guy he's a great fuck he drinks the gasoline or whatever right i believe so yeah yeah he doesn't do that in this no, so, good. Worry about that. You're you're safe for one movie. <laughs> he does not do that. But yeah, no, this is yeah, this is a, this one's my surprise to make it. I'm glad it did though. Cool. 
And you haven't seen this one either, Ryan? No, I've seen this one. Okay. Uh, I need to re- revisit. It's been too long. I don't have a lot of specific feelings or memories about it, so I, I need to revisit. You just remember the blinking. I do remember the blinking for <laughs> sure. Yes. I remember the trailer really well because it had a really cool Charlotte Gainsbourg song in it. Yeah. Oh. It's actually sung by, if, if it's the one I'm thinking of, it's not her. It's uh, it's Plansky's wife, Emmanuel Senior. Because uh, she's in it playing his wife. It, it might, that might, the trailer might have been a Charlotte Gainsbourg. Oh, okay. But the, the song that you remember from the movie is uh, this. I can't remember. She's in some band with uh, Agent Orange or something. Uh, it's the best song in the whole soundtrack. And it's uh, If You Shut the Door, Don't Turn Off the Light, Babe. It's really fucking good. She's an interesting screen presence. Like, just very cold, you know? <laughs> and all those Polanski films she was in towards the end. Uh, just she has a very coldness about her. Ninth Gate, you know? She's pretty interesting, that one. Nice. Um, Am I up? Is it me? You're up. Yes. Okay. Um, Well, we did a Best of the 2010s episode recently, and I put Scott Pilgrim in there. um, And I did declare at that time that I thought that was maybe my favorite Edgar Wright movie. Um, But I think I've changed my mind. Ooh. Because um, I love Shaun of the Dead. I think it's incredible. Uh, and one of the most amazing debut films ever. But Hot Fuzz really mm. has my heart. Nice. Hot cool. Fuzz. It's just it's I. It came out on 4K recently, and I hadn't shown my son, and I even went so far as to show my daughter <laughs> an R-rated cop movie comedy because um, I thought she'd appreciate it, and she did. She liked it. Um, but yeah, it's just so clever and so sharp just like all their films are uh the dialogue and the care i I mean the nicholas angel character should be a walking cliche but it's i don't it's just so goddamn funny man and everything the recurring jokes and the and the little um side bits i mean ah i just love it it makes me laugh i don't feel the length most comedies that try to push the two-hour mark I think are treading on thin ice, but this one, I'm just like, I don't feel it. I just, I don't mind that it has almost two climaxes in a way. I mean, there's two parts where I'm like, Oh shit. There's like still this whole other ending that I, that I totally love. And it's one of those, I just can't get enough of, but rewatching it. I was just like, I think this is my favorite Edgar Wright movie. I just absolutely love it. it it's, it's just a blast, man. Just a blast. He's got multiple films that could be on a list like this. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. He, he yeah. was like, I mean, I think Baby Driver is going to hold up. That's one that's almost too recent still. But yeah. It's gonna, I think it's going to hold up. Obviously, the spacey factor, who knows how that will affect repeat viewings for some people. That I don't think will bother me as much in that role uh, for certain reasons. But um, who knows, you know? But it's such a fun movie. Yeah. Yeah. I just, the soundtrack, the score, uh, I mean, the. Edgar's just so perfect for an action movie, you know. I mean, I again, I love Shaun of the Dead, uh, and he brings action into it. But Hot Fuzz is a fucking full-on action movie, and his editing style, I think, is most complimentary in that context. You know, um, it works great in anything, but when you you can set up some of the action sequences he sets up and have the frenetic energy that the movie has throughout, uh, and the comedy. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's a pretty incredible thing. I mean, there's there's definitely some fun buddy cop comedies, but this is near the top for me, for sure. And it just has such a deep bench of 
supporting actors, all of whom are doing such funny stuff where again, uh, like I talked about with cheap thrills, you could watch the movie and every time pay pay attention to a different actor and just be cracking up at what Timothy Dalton is doing in this scene or what, you know, Olivia Coleman is Oscar winner. Olivia Coleman is doing. I forgot she's in it. Dude, that blew me away. Then she shows up and that's still who she is to me. Like when she, when she shows up in whatever the, the Yorgos movie, I was like, that's the the girl from hot fuzz. Uh, Yeah. It's hilarious, dude. When she shows up. So good. No, that's a great pick because that movie is pretty amazing. I think for a long time, Shaun of the Dead was my favorite, but you're starting to convince me that maybe it's Hot Fuzz. Like, I think that's the one I return to the most. Yeah, it's I mean, I love Shaun. Shaun, like I said, is fantastic. Uh, But I think I've just been gravitating a little more towards Hot Fuzz in the past couple years. I mean, that's how I am with I'm sure a lot of people people are with certain filmmakers you're like, oh, this is the one. No, I'm feeling this now for whatever reason, whatever emotional state I'm in. Um, Yeah, Hot Fuzz is just the ticket for me. Have you revisited World's End since the kind of initial screenings? I'm curious to rewatch that one because there was a lot I liked about it, but it's the one that I've least seen. I think I've only seen it once or twice. Mm. I mean, I like it a lot. Like, I like his other stuff. But, uh, yeah, that's the one I have seen the least of all of them, I think. Yeah, I'm tempted to go for a rewatch there. Yeah. It was weird to not talk to him about his films at all. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a guy who's made movies that good and we didn't even once, I think, really address his films. But, no. I mean, that wasn't the that wasn't the conversation we were pitching. But still, yeah, you could do it again for sure. Yeah. What's next for you, Patrick? Um, all right. Well, let me ask you, Brian. Is your last pick a comedy? Yes. All right. Then it's not this movie. So I'm going to name this movie because I wasn't okay. going to because I thought oh. for sure it would be on your list. Uh-oh. It is the most recent movie on my list, and it is uh, Panos Cosmatos's Mandy. Oh, very nice. No, what? we talked... Tell- yeah. What? Mandy? I don't know this. Tell me. <laughs> Patrick. Um, no, this is one Elric and I talked about, Like, and I thought he might take it, so I didn't pick it. But yeah, it's definitely the kind of movie that would make this list. It's amazing. Well, I- of all the movies, I feel like that and between the three of us before you even start telling us why that and once upon a time in Hollywood are the two that are so recent for me, but they're also just so fucking rad. And you know that they're going to be, <laughs> yeah, you know, for sure. So, well, that's the so thing that about part of it too. Yeah. That's the thing about Mandy is like, I said, the first time I saw it, it felt like it had been in my DNA forever. Yeah. Um, just the, the combination of influences, the filmmaking style, the Nicolas Cage performance, um, everything about it is like, oh, this is a movie that I've always wanted to see and didn't know that I wanted to see. Uh, and I never had the opportunity to see it theatrically. I know you did, Elric. Did you, Brian? No, I had to see it at home. Yeah, that's the way, that's the only way I've seen it. So I've never seen it, you know, on the big screen, which is a regret for me because I think it's a movie that would play unbelievably well on the big screen. I bet you'll get a chance, though, because I think that, like, of all the movies, that's a cult movie that will go to theaters one day, you know what I mean, in the future. I feel like it's a movie that will get played again, unlike a lot of the movies, unfortunately, you know? I feel like people, and maybe it's because of Nick, maybe it's the, maybe it is the aesthetic, the rumbling soundtrack, but Everything you just said about that, that first viewing of that and how you as a movie, is how I felt about seeing Night Beast for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just felt like as a movie I was born to watch. And, and I wouldn't have seen it if it wasn't for 
Mandy. Because when I saw that clip, I was like, what the fuck is that movie? I need to see that movie. And then yeah. finally I got to see it and, I, and it held up for me. So yeah. One of the many, many awesome things about Mandy is that Night Beast plays on the TV oh, in it. So good. And <laughs> yeah. so into it, too. Like, Cage is so into Night Beast. I love yeah. it. Don Dohler, baby. Don yeah. Dohler. He deserves it. No, it's, I'm so glad you brought it up, Patrick, because I would be... I, like I said, it kind of went out of my head when Elric and I talked about it because I thought he might pick it. So I was like, oh, I, I, I won't put on that on the list then. But it is a movie that is so fantastic and so well put together. Like for a second film, I just I'm really kind of stunned how I mean, he, he probably wouldn't describe himself as a confident filmmaker, but it's confident in the courage it has to just go where yeah. it wants to go, yeah. you know, and that's so unique. I showed it to my brother who I was positive was going to love it because he was like a big D&D guy back in high school and he was not into it. And I, that's how I knew it was a handshake movie because I'm like, I don't know how to relate to you and you're literally, <laughs> you're literally my relative. Uh, but I don't I've know how to met talk. people who didn't dig it. I've met a few people who didn't, didn't get it or dig it and, and I think that's a good thing. That's a sign that they, it is doing its own unique thing. Yeah, like fantasy yeah. beat that guy. It's like a unique, unique guy. Um, you can listen to our mind trip episode that almost had him on it. <laughs> um, that's my plug for an episode that almost had Panos. Uh, Sorry but you know, he's plugging he, so much, but <laughs> yeah, well, you know, might as well. Uh, he's he's somebody who I am very excited to see whatever he does. And I think the growth. I think you nailed it when you said like the maturity or the confidence because. Beyond the Black Rainbow visually is this amazing film and sound wise, but there's something missing in terms of a character to identify with. There's no character, no in to the movie. Like it's a great piece of art, uh, but it's a hard movie to love in that sense, in that part of it. Whereas Mandy, it's the opposite. He nailed, he kept the aesthetics the same, but he was able to give you a character to emotionally care about two characters to really emotionally care about and i i think you know as funny as some of the stuff is when you get to the the thing where he's actually you see the loss of mandy oh you feel it you in the flashback one of the best uses of uh, going back in time you know for, in yeah. a long time yeah no that's one of the most emotional cage performances ever and at the i'm sure there's some people that can't handle that you know because i think there's some people who you know, I know he's your favorite actor, Patrick. Isn't that right? That is correct. Okay, so I mean, like, there, you obviously get. The- wait, wait, wait! You're act- you're acting like that's a thing he, you could choose. He is the greatest screen actor <laughs> in the history. Like, I don't even know why that's a question. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. Even I was if he wasn't my favorite. He's the best. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he is, but I did, I think people have a certain idea of him, and he's kind of a. I don't want to say a joke, but people don't take him seriously, and. I, obviously, I think that's a huge mistake. So I think some people going in expecting a Nicolas Cage movie, it is that in a way, but he really sublimates himself to the material and ends up evoking this incredible epic, you know, melancholy that I, I don't, I don't think I've ever seen. And he's done some emotional dramas before. It's not like he's never done it. Um, but yeah, it's got the, some similarities to Leaving Las Vegas in that way. Like sure. Some of the best stuff he does in that movie, which is again one of these movies that I think some people now would be like, "Oh, it's a serious movie." But it's a it's a fucking amazing movie. Leaving Las Vegas is an amazing performance by him. He really does something amazing in that film, and I think he's channeling the first time he's channeled that same thing into any of his roles is this one, yeah. uh, Mandy. You know, uh, but I, I'm with you. I'm with Patrick. I, I haven't seen all the the direct TV stuff that you've been chasing. <laughs> uh, you're a braver man than me. But but when he is with a good director. He is as good as it gets, you know. He gives you everything, and he's he's an amazing, he's just an amazing character, you know. 
more than anything. I'm I'm always curious what he's going to do next. I did just read that he's going to play Tiger Joe, which I'm a little less excited about because that's so obvious. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean it's at like, least at yeah. least we know he'll bring something interesting to it. Yes. I, I think I think the thing for me, as crazy as he might sound, based on stories about his personal life, he's a man who takes the craft seriously, and I think wants to continue to make good cinema like he's still looking to do it he still loves acting and loves to find characters and you can just tell that it's a big deal to him and i feel like you know i'm not going to call out bruce willis specifically but yeah maybe somebody Hmm. like that where you're like the passion is gone and i get it i don't think i could have held out as long as he had you know yeah yeah bruce brought it uh when he worked with wes anderson so it's like it's so interesting i do think some of them get to a point where they're just doing so much shit for money and they have to for whatever their reasons are but if a good director pops up you never get they're not going to let you get away with that you're yeah. not going to work with Werner herzog and just phone it in Herzog's going to let him go to the next level right or whatever it is so so yeah no it's he, he's he's endlessly fascinating i can't i can't i can never wait to know what he's gonna kind of keep working on and the fact that he chose to work with richard stanley is a big deal yeah because it shows he knows he reminds me of like um jack nicholson in the 60s and 70s like was you know 70s especially was just picking interesting directors to work with you know for projects that weren't going to be always commercial but he wanted to work with those people because he loves movies you know mm-hmm. um that's why he's in the shining you know it's yeah it's <laughs> it's you know he's, he's just interesting like that i think <laughs> yeah no that's a great pick patrick um, thank you yeah and, and i will say that your episode with adam i know everybody's already heard it but anybody that hasn't heard the nicholas cage <laughs> and uh travolta episode I fucking love that episode, and I, like I can't wait to see. There's a bunch of like Trust and Primal, and there was a bunch of those Cage movies that you called out. I was less excited about a lot of the Travolta stuff. I'll be honest. It's but not as Adam, good. Adam sold it. Like he sold the movies. I just I as an actor, as much as he also is a craftsman, I don't get as excited about his work these days. Yeah, personally. Yeah. I don't. I don't. You know. I'll do respect to Adam. I don't think the Travolta stuff is as good as the Cage stuff. That that was a great idea for an episode and a blast to listen to. I got what? so many stuff. What's the one where he's dressed up like Richard Stanley? Primal or something? That's Primal, where he's kind of already playing Tiger King. So I don't know why yeah, it's it's not much of a leap. But uh, interesting. Okay. I guess he's not as much of like a redneck as Tiger Joe. Yeah. Okay, well, we love them. Um, yeah, I agree. That was a great episode. Uh, are we up to <coughs> Thumb? Uh, the Thumb. thumb. The Thumb. thumb. <clears throat> Number one with a bullet. All right, so uh, the – yeah, well, okay. So I had this problem with the same director, and I realized both could be my number one. I think a lot of people know uh, how I feel about Under the Skin, that I think it's like you know like one of the best works of art of the last 10 years. It just got on – it got under my skin to the point where I – I've only seen it, I think – twice and it i think about it all the time but uh but my number one of my handshake is the dark comedy one of my favorite movies of the 2000s and that is sexy beast oh, this is nice. a movie i absolutely love it, it's one minute away from perfection i believe 88 minutes is the perfect length of any movie if this one's 89 it came so close and you think about when you watch this movie that's crazy because it's like you get the stuff in spain you get a huge crime then you get the aftermath of the crime like it's it's there's a lot of movie packed into 89 minutes he was a very successful uh, jonathan glazer successful commercial director huge music video guy and he's only made uh three films that's right yeah three uh sexy beast uh 
Under the Skin and Birth, which I also, Birth I love a lot, but it's not a movie that is as rewatchable in any way. It's much more like a great stylish piece. Um, But Sexy Beast, I could, I kind of feel like similarly about this as I do Cheap Thrills or something. Uh, I think it's comic gold. Like, no movie can probably make me laugh quite. Uh, on such a sustained period. And also it's dark, and when it goes to the the crime side, I think Ben Kingsley gives his best performance, Ray Winston gives his best performance, Ian McShane gives one of his best performances. Uh, So it's just like, uh, it's like sparking on all cylinders. And I think some people maybe, including myself back in the day, maybe lump this in in a in a negative way and they need to rewatch so they understand that into the guy Ritchie stuff that was coming out because this is right when the especially where i came from this is where kind of lad culture was starting um and some of early edgar stuff too it's just like where you know stock, lock stock and two smoking barrels and suddenly lots of kind of british gangster stuff was popping back up but this is on such a different level than that stuff is and it's so much more serious and honestly one of the best love stories in the history of movies because, and people, some people forget that even has that element, but Ray Winston, this fat, you know, overweight aged gangster trying to get away from the life of crime to just kind of chill out in Spain and get away from it is in love with his wife who just happens to have been a porn star or in, in illegal in that kind of world at some point. And that doesn't matter to him. But when this guy, Don Logan, uh, comes into his world played by Ben Kingsley and they, the build up to this character is as good as the build up to Bogart in Casablanca uh, before they reveal him. It's just like you're sitting on the edge of your seat for this guy because you know he means business. Uh, the way he insults the guy's wife and just some of the stuff you just see it rising through this Ray Winston character. And, and you know, Ray Winston's a guy who I, I think of as a mean, mean, tough guy. And this is the only film where I saw this utter teddy bear. And just completely fell in love with them in this movie. You know, it's it's one that if you haven't seen it for a while, I think your mind will be blowing how good it is, how and how funny it is, uh, because and and just how innovative. You you see Glazer, you know Glazer, somebody you, I don't even think about him very often in the in the way I think about Lynch and other directors. But like the fact is, he's made three of my favorite movies in the last twenty years. So it's crazy to think if there's a new film, I think there's a new one that he was meant to make make this year set in the Holocaust. Uh, I'm not sure what he can, what more he can do there, but yeah, he's, he's really an interesting filmmaker under the skin took like 10 years for him to make. People don't know that. Like he got the rights to the book and wrote multiple drafts that he, he chose not to make it because the drafts weren't right. Like there was too much exposition and too much narrative. So he kept stripping it down and then couldn't get made until he got Scarlett Johansson to say yes, then he made it. So it's not like it's, it's a movie that just happened. It took a very long time. So yeah, it's, if, if you haven't seen this one recently, I highly recommend a rewatch because uh, it has just some of my favorite lines in any movie too. Sexy Beast from 2000. Yep, another Elric movie, another movie I identify specifically with you. Oh, the opening. Awesome. The music yeah. at the start and him at the freeze frame with the title where his crotch is up in the air. He's in a <laughs> yellow Speedo and he's in freeze. I think of this one a little bit more in the Edgar Wright world. It's not obviously not quite, you know, what Edgar is doing is obviously a lot more fast paced in terms of the jokes. But it's, you know, it's more in that than it is Guy Ritchie. That's for sure. Absolutely. I don't think I've seen it since the theater and we own the Twilight Time Blu-ray. So you've convinced me I need to rewatch this like tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, don't do it with Diving Bell and the Butterfly. They should be different nights. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Uh, you know, whatever you want to do. What I'm but, yeah, hearing is one. double feature. All right. <laughs> hey, let me know, man. I'll... <laughs> Very interesting double. Awesome. All right, um, Brian, the thumb. 
the thumb. Well, Elric knows what I'm going to pick for this. Uh, it's definitely one that was sort of a love at first sight for me, but I'm not surprised because I really like Shane Black a lot. Pretty much everything he's done uh, in some form or another appeals to me. And his sensibility, his cleverness, his comedy always appeals to me. But um, The Nice Guys from 2016 is the one that I'm still kind of shaking my head about how it didn't seem to connect at the box office. Um, I just thought another one like Popstar, when the trailer came out, I was like, this movie looks fucking hilarious. I cannot wait. And then went and saw it and it delivered everything I was thinking it would and more. And somehow it's just didn't connect. So I don't know what it is about uh, Shane Black and sometimes his movies not connecting. I mean, the other, you know, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang was certainly one that I considered for the list too, because both of them are just some of the best crime comedies ever made. I just think they're amazing. So, um, yeah, between Gosling and this, who really, I, I knew he was funny, but I guess I didn't know how funny he could be until I saw him in this movie and how much of, I don't know, like he seems to almost enjoy playing off the, uh, you know, sexiest man persona into this buffoonery that he does so well that I just think is, I don't know. I love that an actor like that will do this kind of a thing and be so good at it. Uh, and he and Russell Crowe together are just, I don't know. There's a dynamism so there. So yeah. There's together. It's like something. Yeah. I'm so thankful. This of all the films you've ever kind of told me. I can't remember when it came up early on, but I remember being sick and watching this, and had missed it when it first came out. And it's the best any movie has made me feel in like years. Like I have laughed. I think they're, I think it's just like near perfect. It's, it's my, it would be probably my first scratching the door title, but I knew it was going to come up on your side. So didn't need to. Um, it, the chemistry is just off the hook. They're so yeah. good together. And the, the part where Ryan Gosling is channeling Buster Keaton, you know, <laughs> towards the end of this movie where I, my brain was like, I didn't even know he could do that, that stuff, you know? Yeah. And I mean, and that's stuff. He would be a good Buster Keaton biopic, actually. Totally. I mean, he could do it. He shows a physicality that I think is great, but all around comic sensibilities on display from him in this movie are just off the charts. And then on top of that, the movie's got to have a father daughter dynamic, which is like, you know, directly pointing right at me, Patrick. I know you feel this too. When there's a father daughter movie, it's just like, oh man, yeah. You just now you're fucking with me, and that's okay. <laughs> you know, that's all right. I don't mind. But I that's do too, but it's creepy when I feel that way. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely is. It definitely is. But yeah, this one I've come back to a bunch since it came out, and it's one that I love to show to people because yeah, unfortunately, it's only four years old, but I I still feel like a lot of people didn't see it, and maybe they didn't even hear it came out for whatever reason. Um, so it's definitely one I'm going to continue to be excited about sharing till the end of time. I mean, it's just, it's an all-timer. It's really an all-timer for me, which is pretty neat when it's, again, a movie that's so recent uh, that you can just tell that you're like, oh, I'm clicking in with this, and that feels great, you know? Well, then the fact that Predator came after this is such a, <laughs> such a, what's such a bummer for us, Shane Black fans, because you're like, ah, like, like if Predator had at least done well, it would have been okay, even if it was a mess, but did well. But the fact that it didn't makes you go, shit, is he even going to get another chance? To I, yeah, that really, I actually don't mind that movie. Yeah, and it's like, it's kind of fun, yeah. I just think it does some cool things that a Predator movie sequel should do. I won't get into my feelings about that, but um, yeah, that was a bummer for me, because I was just like, okay, here's a ticket to the next Nice Guys, and it was like, nope, 
we're not getting it you know so it's like i he i think he'll rise again from the ashes he seems to every um you know five six seven eight years and i i hope he does i hope he doesn't call it quits because he is to me one of the most continually interesting voices in cinema in terms of a guy who's aware of movies and makes movies for people who love movies and are aware of movie tropes and not that he undercuts every single one but you can just tell there's this passion there for storytelling in that cinematic way that it's again refreshing is a great word for me even though i know these kinds of characters the way he's going to tell his story is just more clever and interesting than most people that even give it a shot so love it yeah no it's an amazing movie i love i love that it not again the way that i talked about with stoker with nicole kidman this movie kind of does the same thing for russell crowe because russell crowe's been great we already talked about the insider and he's been in other stuff where he's fantastic but he'd done you know not great stuff for years and then you see him in the nice guys and you're like oh when somebody knows how to use him especially in kind of a new way um because he doesn't do a lot of comedy but he's so fantastic in the movie and him and gosling together again it's the movie that really proves that gosling needs to do more comedy because he's fucking hilarious in this movie yeah i I know you're sorry i was just gonna say you're right about uh russell crowe i didn't mean to downplay how good he is in it because the movie doesn't work if it's just the Gosling show. It's really about both of them. Anyway, it's got a scene with him holding Yoo-Hoo. <laughs> and that's I, I loved Yoo-Hoo. When I moved to New Zealand when I was a kid, that was the one thing I never got to try Yoo-Hoo again. And I'd had it once in America, and then moved to New Zealand and always wanted Yoo-Hoo. So when I saw Russell, I, I felt good. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it, no, he's really funny. I, I was just going to say, I just went to the drive-in this uh, last weekend, and I got to see a new film in the theater, which was the true story of the Kelly gang. And Russell's really good. He's only in about like, you know, 20 minutes of it. He kind of has a cameo, but he's really good. It's really fun to see him relish just the kind of a crazy role. He gets to kind of be super, uh, kind of super intense and fun, but yeah, he, he's so much fun to watch. Is he playing Dr. Jekyll? He is. Okay. Who, good. Had, yes. The dark universe continues <laughs> in Australia, uh, somewhere, but yeah, and ironically, some of those people would have actually been great in good movies. You know what I mean? Like the cast, those actors they pulled, all of them could have been good if the movies were good. Right. You know? Right. But, um, who knows? We might get another chance. So we're just leading up to Patrick's number one being the mummy, right? Yes. Your thumb is the mummy. It will be a thumb for <laughs> You know, people don't talk about rock of ages enough. Uh, <laughs> My thumb movie is, uh, it's kind of a super obvious one and maybe it'll make you guys lose all respect for me, but it was the first movie I thought of when you guys said Neo handshake movies. Um, and it is turbo kid from 2015. Yeah. Oh, nice. I did. I kind of, I had forgotten that was a big one for you, but that totally makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a movie. Again, there's, there's probably better movies on this list. There's better movies even on my list, but Turbo Kid has my heart. Uh, it is, again, a movie that's little more than sort of the sum total of the, the its influences. Um, but it just so happens that, you know, as this weird semiotic exercise, it's like all of the signifiers speak directly to me, whether it's the um, kind of the young love story, the post low budget post apocalyptic setting, the level of gore and violence, the synthesizer soundtrack, the references to all things nineteen eighties. You know, it's all stuff that has my heart, and you put it all together in a movie that I think is very sweet and well made. Um, 
I just, from the first time I saw it, completely fell in love with it. And uh, I think when I wrote a review of it back at, in 2015, I think the first line of my review was something like, if you don't like Turbo Kid, I'm not sure we can be friends. Mm-hmm. And I totally understand people not liking it or being like, yeah, it was fine. It was cute. You know, I, that's... I get that not people aren't going to feel about it the way that I do, but it's it's the kind of thing where if you know me, you kind of get why I love it, and so that's why it's a handshake movie for me. Yeah, I think that's exactly the point of this, right? You know, it's something that you can you something in you is just pulling towards that movie. It, that's how I feel probably about Black Coat Store in terms of my picks, where it's like not everyone's going to get that pick, right? But th- those who do will will see it for whatever it is. Yeah, uh, Turbo gets really fun, and Mike Ironside uh, once put his head next to Brian. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's a strong. One of my favorite point. celebrity pictures is us posing our heads together as a butt. That was yeah. his idea. <laughs> he was cool as shit too. He's like, he kind of like when we did that cool Madsen episode. Oh, uh, he, he was similar. Ironside was yep. so, so revealing. <laughs> Just to see you start telling stories that you weren't ready for. Uh, yeah, he's, he's a character, man. Just a presence, like a real, like, like Madsen in that way, absolutely. Just being in the room with him, and I said almost nada through that whole thing. But just listening to him talk and feeling his vibe, it was like, wow, this, you get it. You just like, oh, I see. I see why this guy is Michael Ironside. He's just, <laughs> oh, he was so fucking cool. Yeah. Um, Patrick, so when I said nice, I meant that's really cool that you picked that, but I didn't mean it to sound like I have not seen Turbo Kid. I am ashamed of the fact. Mm. That I have not yet seen Turbo Kid, so I'm putting it at the top. You of my know, what's Amazon. surprising about that is it's if it reminds me of your pick of um, Team Mystery, um, oh. Mystery Team, because it's it's got a, it's a similar kind of ode. It's coming from a similar yeah. place yeah. by the creators, uh, and I've only seen it once all the way through. You know, when I first saw it, and I liked it a lot, but I've been it's one I've been kind of meaning to watch. Also, it's produced by Ant Simpson, great guy, one of the producers on it. I think um, I didn't like their follow up film. I didn't summer. really either. Summer yeah. of '84. Yeah, it's got it has all the pieces I like, but just doesn't kind of do the thing I wanted to do. You yeah, know? yeah. Kind of like Oz Perkins movies. They're kind of like, like the shell of the thing I like, but you know. I still haven't seen Gretel and Hansel. It's just missing a story engine, man. It's like it's got the surface of a really beautiful looking movie, and it's just like ah, for me, you know. But um. Yeah, no, but it, but that to me is a more honest way to talk. Like sometimes I don't, I start to lose. There's certain critics who, you know, you could just they'll they'll love any movie by that same person, and even when you know it's like bullshit, you, they just <laughs> you know, and I get a little over. So so I think it's important to like you know know yeah that one doesn't not everyone speaks to you. They can't all, you only have one hand, right? Exactly. <laughs> Um, so what were some of the, uh, scratching, scratching at the door picks? Well, I mean, we talked about, obviously once upon a time has got to be right there, you know, uh, phantom thread is another one for me. Like it almost on the list. It's, it's so oh, yeah. close that, that, that makes it, but let's talk about once upon a time just for a second, because like for us, this is nice to be able to talk about it, not on our show, but I think for both of us, the only negative was that we are doing a show on an, on the, for the website that's connected to Tarantino. So, so to, you know, so to be completely honest, like, so people understand how, how much we both loved this film with nothing to do with that, like just on its own merits as a movie. And one of the reasons I know that is because we, we didn't completely know what to think after that first like screening when we didn't see it in the theater. Like, like we knew it was great, but you couldn't, 
you're like almost a little dazed. I remember walking out of there and it wasn't until I started with a crowd where I was like, this is my favorite of his movies in a long time. And I like all his movies, you know, it, it, bl- it blows me away how many layers and how rewatchable it is. Um, but it's always just a bit of a bummer when you, that's always going to be questioned, not by many people. Like most people don't give a shit, but you always get some, there'll always be some troll who will kind of, uh, think that it's just, um, fan service because of what you have to do. Yeah, it is a bummer because we talk about it even more on the show, but we feel like we talk about it too yeah, much. Yeah, yeah, it's true. But it's just so goddamn good. I mean, <laughs> it is really next level for him, and I love his movies too. And yeah, it's I, I, that's how I, I mean, not to push back to Phantom Thread, but I feel like that's for me, PTA doing something. It doesn't seem different, maybe, but it is for me. It's. It's just something else. It's it's the only one I consider, and I love his movies too. But it's the only one I considered for the the 2000s handshakes uh, was Phantom Thread. So yeah, yeah that probably so, will take a couple more years to, to, but it will be on that list for me too. Right? I, I know I know exactly what you're saying because it's such a personal movie, and that's yeah. like, like that's such a weird thing to say about movies sometimes where it's not obvious what the personal part is, but you just sense it. You sense the relationship stuff is personal. To who I don't exactly know, but it's personal. You well, know, and it's it's specific. got it's got some romantic gestures in it that I think are some of the best and most moving romantic gestures that I can think of in recent films. And I think it's hard to cinematically top some of the romantic gestures we've seen in films for the last you know century. So I don't know the fact that this one can do it. I, I'm really impressed with that. You know. Yeah, it slow burns to it, too. It builds till you really understand them. You know, it's like, it takes a while to understand why, you know, there's a great, there's all, all sorts of romances where you're always like, why the hell is that person with that person? Yeah. And you're like perplexed by it because the person's so annoying. And this <laughs> has all those hallmarks. And then it hits the bullseye at a certain moment. And you're like, oh, I totally get it. Why yeah. they would be together. And that's really hard to do. You know, it's, um, yeah, I got a, a few that could be quick. Um, obviously, I had Mandy, Once Upon a Time, and Nice Guys, really high up there. Uh, big ones for me, Chopper, that's year 2000. So that that's up there with Sexy Beast for, to me, the funniest crime films of all time. Eric Bana's on another level. Easily my favorite by that director who did um, that we started the show talking about killing them softly. Uh, Green Room is very close. Even oh, though, yeah. You know, the weird thing is I sometimes think um, – uh, Blue Ruin is like the better movie and the one I tend to recommend to people. But Green Room's the most exciting movie I saw in a cinema in the last ten years. Like just in terms of like feeling, holy shit! Yeah. In terms of that that feeling on edge, and I haven't actually rewatched it. Believe it or not, I've seen it only the one time in the theater, and it left such kind of an impression on me. Uh, I the one I thought would be scratching the door for both me and Brian, a few other people, is uh, Brawl and Cell Block. Um, Subblock 99 you know it's just one of those films of Zoller's films so far and I've liked them all this is the one that there's just something about it it's like such a big swing it's a crazy movie Vince Vaughn is again it's pretty emotional you know it's his, his motivation's pretty strong to want to get out of jail um, and then a movie I just think is probably my favorite horror film of the last 20 years but it didn't make this list even though Black Coats is more my aesthetic but i think my favorite is it, it follows uh I it's just a movie i think about all the time and i think it really works and i don't care about having arguments about logic i, I could care less <laughs> you know what i mean i think about is it fun and is it have a vision this is, this is the closest we've come to me seeing a carpenter film in the last you know 20 years in terms of that style of how those movies felt that's how it follows makes me feel and 
you know, it's one of the few films I kind of do want a sequel to, even if it was bad. <laughs> like, I guess my better judgment, uh, just so I could see what would happen. Um, but I, I really like that film. Um, and there's lots of other little other ones, but I got a few more. I'll just bank through titles. Um, Fantastic Mr. Fox, I think, is the purest Wes Anderson movie, and it might be near the top for me now. I I love him, but it was weird that I when I was doing this list, I'm like, why don't I want to put um, one of his movies on my list. I don't know why right now, but that's one that I'm pretty close on. My daughter loves that movie. Attack the Block, I think, is incredible. So, talking about Carpenter influence, Carpenter movie type thing. Um, Joe Cornish, really good stuff. Uh, Everybody Wants Some, I think, is really close for me. Like a great, you know, sister film follow up to Days and Confused. How did that not come up on a recent episode that people won't see for a couple of months? <laughs> no, we've already banked. I just realized, holy shit, how, how did that one not come up? Yeah, no, it was definitely one I thought about because it fits the, the category, you know? It's too new, I think, for me. That's it. Um, Ghost World, another comic movie that oh, I... I get that. That's post-2000. Yeah, that's... Yep, 2001. Um, a Mighty Wind, I think, is maybe my favorite Christopher Guest movie. Um, it's the new Spinal Tap. <laughs> it is that's what the kids are saying uh i don't know yeah it's just really really good it's yeah i'd rather watch pop star but i i think a mighty wind is the one that is not getting as much love as i would like it to give get because i think it's so well done and so well observed in terms of the types and styles of music and the songs and the characters that are playing those different kinds of musicians i just think it really nails some stuff that i I think is great um tucker and dale versus evil i think is really really i think that's one of the best dark uh horror comedies yeah yeah Yeah, i mean that i talk about inheriting inheriting the mantle i feel like it does inherit the mantle of evil dead 2 in some ways although it's a totally different thing but it's that kind of a movie that you show to people and just laugh your ass off. Um, Free Fire, I really like Wheatley's movie Free Fire. I just think another darkly comic, um, just crazy, tense movie that, I don't know, really really caught me in the right way. Um, and then I've got two like big studio comedies that I really like. Uh, I really like I Love You, Man. I think that one, we, we did a... Um, dreamworks episode for patreon a while back and i rewatched i love you man and i was like god i just really like this movie it's just (laughs) fucking adorable and their relationship is so i don't know sweet that i just i don't know so that one and then pitch perfect was one that surprisingly i rewatched even i've seen a ton my daughter loves those movies but the first one in particular has some emotional element to it that it's still I mean, I get teary in the end of Pitch Perfect. That's a total um, thing I would not, I'm not too proud of, but it's just something that when I was watching it, there's a certain reveal during the closing musical number that I just think is such a sweet, again, gesture that it just really stands out. And I, I just, I love the, although the music dates the movie because they're obviously dealing with contemporary pop songs of like 2012 or whenever it came out. Um, but I just think it's a really fun movie with a good energy, so I, I like it a lot. Uh, just I just will rattle off just one uh, one more. I forgot uh, one. I think that people are forgetting about a little bit is History of Violence. I feel like that's a movie ah. that had a moment and then it kind of went away. But when we rewatched it for our Josh Olsen thing, it, it just 
struck me. I, I think Eastern Promises is, is equally good, but History of Violence is a little just, I can really get my arms around a little easier because it is an American story about identity, um, and I think it's a really fucking good movie. And when you mentioned Bill Wheatley, Ben Wheatley, obviously Kill List is one of my favorite films the last 20 years too. And there's this one art house horror film that's very hard to find by Gaspar Noe's partner uh, called In- Innocence, which is by Lucille Hadzlovic. I don't think anyone has ever accurately said the name, Um, but it's an amazing movie and it's such a bummer. There was a DVD and then it went out of print. It should be on Blu-ray and it's it's it basically has the aesthetic of Suspiria. Like it looks like Suspiria, but it's set in an all girls like young girls boarding school. That's probably the afterlife, but you don't really know. It's a very abstract movie, but it's like nothing else I've ever seen. And um, it's I'm always kind of amazed people aren't always talking about it because it's such a unique kind of art piece um so if you're into that kind of stuff look for it kind of horror um but yeah there's so many you know that are scratching at the door but what about you pat um some of mine were uh cloud atlas oh that's a cool one i like that movie a lot southland tales kind of took that spot just in terms of the the big swing spot but uh i really really love cloud atlas um I realized after doing some of my, then I was like, oh, I clearly have unresolved issues about my childhood because so many of my movies are about kids. Because um, I have Super 8 on mine, and I have uh, a Canadian movie called I Declare War. Have you guys seen that? No. I've heard of it, but I didn't see it. It's yeah. basically a group of kids playing guns, you know, or war out in the forest. Um and it just the it takes on much greater stakes uh it's a really i i really really love it um it's i think it's streaming a couple places for free um beyond the gates i, I oh, was waiting for that one that'd be on your list for sure <laughs> oh that's a really good call man yeah I, yeah I didn't really i mean mandy i guess is the closest to horror on yeah. my list otherwise i didn't really have any horror on my list but yeah, I really love Beyond the Gates. It's like such a positive horror movie. Like I love the style of it and everything and I love the cast, but I love what it has to say about relationships between brothers and fathers and it's so kind of hopeful where so many horror movies are about uh breaking the characters down. Uh this is sort of about building them back up and allowing them to reconnect with one another and um I think it's a really good movie for our current times because there's there, there are very fun. few feel good horror movies. It's streaming where I'm sorry on H- on Hulu. I, people should go watch Beyond the Gates right now. Yes, if they haven't already, because you know, like, I've been talking it up for fucking four years or whatever. It's a. I'm sorry, I interrupted you. You said during these current times, movies like this. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> no it is great and it's definitely one of my favorite horror movies in the past five years like i really you know obviously we know the people that made that movie and but it's just such a unique and interesting idea for a movie i'm just like wow this is the kind of movie i wanted to see made you know 10 years ago and i'm so glad somebody did it i never would have thought to do it i just love the idea of using a vhs game as you're in is just awesome. It's just such a great idea. And then where it goes and yeah, the, the Italian stuff that's influencing it, the soundtrack, I just, there's so much I love about beyond the gates. It's just a shame. The director is such an asshole. <laughs> it really is. You know what you I mean? mean? Sometimes never... It's like that Vincent Gala problem, you know, <laughs> you meet your hero and you're just like, wow, this guy is 
just no. We love Jackson. Oh, and he's probably listening. Jackson's good. Good humans. Yes. He's... So is Vincent Gallo. I bet. Uh, I'm less sure about that. <laughs> uh, now my last one is the uh, Science Sono movie. Why don't you play in hell? Uh, oh, I've got that on Blu-ray and haven't watched it. Somebody gave it to me once. Oh, I think you might love it. Shit, all right. It's a Yakuza filmmaking film, right? Exactly. And the main character is so... The, the, the group of filmmakers called themselves the Fuck Bombers. Oh. And he's so deliriously obsessed with making a movie that I think... There's there's elements of One Cut of the Dead, I think, in the movie. Oh. Um, well, One Cut of the Dead. Okay, so that's a good, perfect example of a movie that is too recent right now but i tell you the way that, that movie made me feel it will be on my list you know i i have i just was so emotional by the end of that movie and just loved it so yeah give it two or three years and that will make a list like that for me i think why don't you play in hell is a little bit more cynical about mm-hmm. filmmaking um there's a great there's a, a gangster a yakuza gangster who gives this great speech that you could imagine any producer giving where he basically talks about what's the budget of your movie going to be. At first he compares it to his breakfast, lunch or dinner. And then it becomes like, is it my whore, my mistress or my wife? And that, you know, if it's my wife, I'm going to be involved in every step of the decision-making process. If it's my whore, I'll give you the money and I won't, I won't see you again until the movie's finished. You know, he just, there's, it's very kind of cynical about the way movies are put together, but there's such a joy and a love for filmmaking in the film itself that it came very close to making my list. Mm. Good stuff. I haven't that, seen that's that actually really too. cool to put the, yeah, I love it when it's something that, especially when you already own it, <laughs> it's that great feeling <laughs> of like, what the hell do I watch next? It's like, okay, that one. I think one of the things that have stopped me was, uh, he's somebody I haven't actually seen many of, uh, see on, even though people have been telling me for years that they think I particularly will love his stuff is some of them are quite long, like two forty, two thirty. 30, yeah. you know, uh, love exposure is another one that I've been, to see that people always tell me about so thank you for that rick i shall do it and he makes so many movies it's hard to keep up but he is i believe making a movie with nicholas cage whoa oh, that's right fuck yes cool so nice. this is fun this is fun getting to do this uh on your on your joint yes thank you guys so much for not only agreeing to do it and coming on the show but coming up with the idea <laughs> you know we, we kind of hijacked your show so it's it's okay that's what we did <laughs> Uh, I think it was around this time last year that I came to Chicago to record. Was it not this time? Was it summer? It was summer, yeah. Yeah, and it's so weird now that we're all in these bubbles, but it's nice to be able to do it, you know. Uh, Not able to go anywhere, but it's nice to be able to do this. But Hopefully you can come back on ours during this time. Yes, Yeah, definitely. We need to have you back on, sir. Well, anytime. Um, But I I love... Sorry. Go ahead. I just... I love your podcast. I was just going to say, um, I, I always appreciate your lists and the things you like your list here is like a perfect example of stuff that I have seen and stuff that I haven't seen some stuff I haven't heard of, but then some stuff that I'm like, Oh yeah, that's a perfect pick. Like, you know, I, that's right up my alley. So I don't know. I just, I, I really appreciate your taste in film, sir. Uh, so it's been a pleasure. Well, and I weird. like the pizza you bought. <laughs> Lou Malnati's. That's that's that how really Erica. Good. That's how Erica wants to entice you back is by offering you Lou Malnati's. Yeah, it'll happen. Uh, as if we're ever allowed to travel again, I'm ready to go now. I, I'm so <laughs> over this right now, so I'm ready to roll. So uh, that's the irony of our last episode being road movies. We started doing this road movie episode when we realized we we can't actually go anywhere, oh, which was a weird gosh. feeling. But 
Um, but yeah, thanks for doing this. This is fun, and hopefully, some people these films will get uh, remind people to seek some of these out. I, I truly want to know what you and Erica think about Diving Bell. No pressure when you see it, but I'm, I I have, have a feeling it might connect. But you know, make sure you have the the time for it. It's going to be super weird if it doesn't, though, because it's one of your handshake <laughs> movies. It's like I don't like maybe I Dude, don't really know Elric at all. Let me put it this way: it has Sybil Danning in it. <laughs> You didn't lead with that? Yeah, talk about burying, dude. What the <laughs> she's, hell? She's, yes, she's in it. I think he watches a channel and changes his channel one time, and it's her <laughs> panther. Uh, Ellie Bounty's on, and that's the civil kid. No, I don't know. She's oh, that's really her in Wings, her. right? Yeah, her in Wings, baby. Nice. Um, so, actually, we, uh, something that not everyone knows, Brian might know this, but we do want to have our Sybil Thawn, um, <laughs> which is something me and uh, Patrick have been talking about. And so, hopefully, if this ever opens, maybe that could happen. Yeah, playing down. with fire, playing with fire all the way. Oh my gosh, yep. that would be yeah. definitely one of the movies in the lineup. Julie Darling, got to do it. Yeah, and <laughs> I don't know who they're talking about. You should follow Sybil Dan social media because she is incredibly inappropriate. <laughs> about a cultural event that's happening, she'll post a photo of her with somebody and then have some bizarre comment with it. It's bonkers. She's bonkers. <laughs> <laughs> but she's a hero. <laughs> well, you guys are so nice to do this. And, uh, you know, I can't say enough nice things about Pure Cinema. So it's it's my favorite podcast. Uh, we yeah. still have time. Yeah. Yeah, no, no. Uh, it is my favorite podcast. <laughs> no, again, no podcast that I listen to makes me want to watch more movies and makes me want to watch movies more that instant. Like, I never want to turn it off, but I always want to turn it off and put on whatever you guys are talking about, whether I've seen it or even better, if I've never seen it, it turns me on to so many movies. Um, it, it really is. You guys are doing an amazing service. Even without all these big name Hollywood <laughs> big shots you've been having on lately, yeah, we're ruining it, we're ruining the show. <laughs> it, it, it won't last. We know that. We we're trying to take advantage of the quarantine in that sense because you know our normal show is just us talking about a few movies each, and that is always going to be the heartbeat of the show. But yeah, I appreciate that because we feel the same way. So uh, <laughs> nice look. about you, I meant about Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> About, he knows how. I uh, but, uh, but yeah, no. It's. I think it's. I think it's nice that. I, I, that the one thing I will say before we wrap is: is anyone listening to podcasts right now? Because we keep hearing from people saying how much our shows mean during this time. But I have no time to listen to podcasts because my commute's gone. Right. And it's like I fit them in a little bit, but it's. So I'm just that part. I'm. I'm a little curious about uh, where people are listening to podcasts right now. You know. In, I mean. I I've heard all kinds of things from, you know, exercising to doing the dishes to cleaning up around the house. I mean, I guess people are doing that stuff. Like, like uh, so <laughs> somebody's still listening. Yeah. Like somehow. That's just nice. I'm just going to start driving again, around my block. No, thank you guys. Uh, this was awesome because it was like a, a bonus pure cinema episode. So, uh, <laughs> so thank you guys again. And, uh, everybody listening, thank you very much for listening. And we'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks again, guys. Thanks, man. Thank you. Thanks for listening to FS Movie.